That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, uh, Chris Gianta, over there on <laughs> Zoom. As you can see on uh, Zoom <laughs> on YouTube is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Pretty bored, Chris, but you know, it's been a fun week. I love, I love this idea of what we're doing for our shows now. We spent so much time prepping for this show. I got a nice little background. Uh, behind me here, of course, the famous George Brett. We're going to be talking a lot about him today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun to do, and I'm excited to do this a lot going forward. So it's it's been a fun week with researching for this show, Chris. Uh, yeah, yeah. And shout out to Haley Walter for uh, making this Red Sox Corona mask. Uh, she's someone someone in the town of East Haddam, if you're local. Uh, she's a fashion designer. I don't, I, I don't know where, where I can plug her, but that's that's the person who made that um and stay safe guys socially distanced yeah but yeah uh yeah i'm you know i've kind of adapted to this whole no baseball thing and now i'm just excited to just do crazy research on like all these guys and all these teams and just kind of i guess live in the past you know this is going to be big for yankees fans because they love talking about the past yeah uh, i mean they they love it this I mean, is, I'm, yeah. I'm from New York. I'm from New York, so I know a lot about it. I get told about the past a lot. Yeah, I think I think you you definitely get it worse. But like, you know, being in Connecticut is there's there's definitely a big divide. So Connecticut's not great either. But I mean, I'm I'm literally in Yankee territory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, before before we get into, as the show is titled, the George Brett and 2012 Tigers episode. Uh, we we got to talk about some, you know, like MLB news, some crazy yeah. MLB news that's happening. Uh, you know, they've the MLB, I guess, proposed. Do you know who like who proposed it? Uh, I'm not sure, but it was backed by CDC officials. So, like, it's not like they're, you know, outwardly trying to like trying to keep people out of harm. But mm -hmm. uh, I'll just go on with it. MLB was proposed or proposed. A uh, potential idea to get MLB players back in training camps uh, sometime in May and start the season up weeks after that, where the entire season would take place in Arizona. Uh, every team would basically be like designated a field in that state, and they'd be play would play regular season games just like they did, you know, if there wasn't a coronavirus without fans. Um, there will be robot humps. Uh, due to the distance that the umpires would normally keep with the pitcher and catch or the batter and the catcher, but like batter and catcher is still going to be right there. I mean, that's not going to change. Also, like if a runner gets the first base, guess what? The first baseman's going to have to hold them on. So obviously, there are going to be uh, some times where they're not exactly practicing social distancing uh, because it's really not possible if you're trying to win a game of baseball. Uh, but one place they will be practicing social distancing will be in the dugouts. Uh, or should I say out of the dugouts? That's right. In the new rule, um, players will be <laughs> sitting in the stands, the empty stands, of course, because there's no fans. And they will be basically watching the games like fans, but with their bats, with their helmets, whatever they need. Uh, it's going to be weird if this happens. I honestly 
gut reaction, I don't think this happens for a variety of reasons that I can get into a little bit later. But Chris, what were your initial thoughts uh, of seeing this? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really, I didn't look into it too much. It just seems, it just really does seem kind of like a, like a pipe dream. There's just so many holes yeah. in this thing, but I am, there's, there's two ways I look at it. A, I'm, I'm glad, you know, they're pushing for, you know, baseball to happen yeah. for it to be the only sport going on. But B, it also makes me realize like if they're, if this is their proposal and they're going to start in May, then the likelihood of them actually like having a season is probably low because if, if the option was, okay, you can start, you can have this weird whole thing with a ton of risk factors starting whatever May 15th, or, you know, you can start a regular season on like whatever July 1st, let's say they would probably go with the, july 1st option for sure but i don't think that option is there so they're going with this weird kind of plan so you mentioned there's a lot of holes in this plan the number one uh being that for for isolation purposes players will basically like live in hotels they won't really be allowed to leave and uh this means they can't see their families and like imagine you know they start the season in may uh you go from may to september maybe even october if you make the playoffs you can't go home and see your family they can't come up and see you like that's like no players with a family is going to sign off on that. Like yeah. imagine having kids and you cannot be there for six months because you're trapped in errors. Like that's not fair. And uh, that's, I think the number one hole is that like, if you're not going to let families there, then there's absolutely no point of doing this because no one's going to want to do it. It's, it's inhumane pretty much. Uh, and it's, it's just not, it does it's not going to work like that. Yeah. It's just, it's not good for, the player's mental health or physical health whatsoever. No, uh, we can't. I mean, if like they limited attendance to just families, then I could definitely have a better idea of this. But even then, like, you know, let's say by August, like some, some families are back working. Uh, you can't, you can't stay there. And therefore, you know, that other parent isn't going to be there for if they have kids. Uh, and that's going to be a huge hole. It's going to be tough for everyone like that, but uh, I, I realistically, I just don't see this happening at all. Uh, it's yeah. a fun proposal, and I'm glad they're like, I'm glad that it, MLB obviously cares about trying to get baseball back, um, it, no matter what the cost. But it's not going to be at this cost. I can't imagine. And I also think about like, I guess it would be kind of a rarity, but say a player gets injured, it's like a broken bone or something. Like, you don't want, you know, if you're if you have coronavirus in yeah. Arizona and you're in a yeah. hospital. It's not like, it's not like it just doesn't exist there. Like there's plenty of coronavirus cases in Arizona too. They're not going anywhere where they're safe from, safe from all that. Yeah. You don't want to be in the waiting room because freaking. You uh, your hip. Yeah. Because, you know, because like Josh Rutledge, does he still play in the league? I don't know. I was trying to use a random player. I just remember he was traded for Shane Victorino. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, if some just random guy gets a hip pr- fracture or tears, tears his ACL for some reason, like, that's just not good for awareness of the, uh, of the disease. Or the, or One the more disease. thing is that if you're going to be playing in Arizona in an outdoor stadium in the middle of August – like that, that just goes without saying, like, it's going to be 120 degrees out there. You're going to be wearing baseball pants. 
Uh, that, and that's going to be an everyday thing. Like, no one's going to want to do that either. I mean, there's a reason, you know, Chase Field has a roof. There's a reason the Rangers just tore down their beautiful ballpark because it didn't have a roof and no one wanted to play outside in that weather. Yeah, yeah. And you also have to think, like, there's going to have to be teams playing multiple games on a field. So, of course, you're going to have to have day games. Yeah. For sure. And I've heard about, like, Chase Field having to have, like, triple headers because, you know, that's probably where everyone's going to want to go. Yeah. Uh, this this whole thing kind of just seems like a like an idea and nothing more than that. Uh, I, you know, maybe it's like it's like MLB saying like, hey, look, we're trying. Here's an idea that we're not actually going to put put real thought into. But like, there it is. We're thinking about it. Or like for anyone complaining about uh, for anyone complaining about having no baseball or anything for coronavirus. Here's what we would have to do if we wanted to do it. Like that's. Uh, yeah, that's, exactly. You can't. This is why it can't happen. Because and like, trust me, I want I want baseball back as much as anybody but else. Like, I miss it. I wish we could have a season right now. But at the same time, we have to keep people safe, and this is not going to do it. And it's also just not going to benefit really anyone uh, on a personal level at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. But yeah, that's that's pretty much all we have to say about this new proposal. Yeah. It's probably yeah. you know, it doesn't really get my hope my hopes up about having a having a season here um but yeah you know it's just tough so what, percent, what percent chance would you put on this actually happening i'd say like two percent of the of the of the, the thing Arizona proposal. I, I cannot see it at all like i would say one in one out of 200 would be like five uh, percent like yeah, yeah okay i guess i'm a little i'm four times as optimistic as you yeah, I guess that's how you how you put it. It's still very still very minimal. Uh, I'm only good with baseball statistics, math. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, yeah. So, on a more, I guess, positive things because every, anything current in baseball is just kind of bad. Even even the outside of coronavirus things is like all anyone can do is get a surgery now. Uh, so. We can we can get away from that stuff. We are going over the Entirety. first the careers the career of George Brett, the Hall of Famer. What was that? A Hall of Famer, George Brett. Hall of Famer, George Brett. Um, I don't I don't know if I have anyone that's not a Hall of Famer in my list, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I like that we're not doing like like an obvious like Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, like Mike Trout type of guy, but we are still doing someone who is fantastic at baseball, like George Brett. That's kind of my type yeah. of point I'd like to do research for uh, for this segment of the show. And I'm glad that we landed on George Brett. Uh, I've had a lot. Of, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I had so much fun researching uh, his entire career, and I got I found some interesting things for sure that we will be going over uh, for the next probably 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the the George Brett story. Um, I mean, I guess if we just if we just start here, he was he grew up in uh, in El Segundo, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're, by the way, if you're an American baseball player, an American professional baseball player, you were born, you're not from Florida, Texas, or California. You're born in one of three states, Florida, Texas, yeah. or California. Yep. That's a fact. Even if you weren't, you were, that's just, it's just a yeah. fact. 
it's just how it's just how the uh, baseball world works. Um, yeah, grew up in El Segundo, California, and pure baseball family. Not his dad, but he had three older brothers. Um, he had Ken, Bobby, and John. Uh, and John, John and Bobby didn't really go very far. They were like uh, they kind of just got cut in single A, but impressive nonetheless. I mean, I don't really know any people that went pro locally at all. So, you know, that's, <laughs> and then, uh, and then he had his older brother, Ken, his older brother, Ken was like an absolute superstar. He was drafted fourth overall, uh, in the first round by the Red Sox as a left-handed pitcher in, in 1967. So both of the, both of the Brett kids are lefties confirmed. Yeah. Well, because George, George was a left-handed hitter. Yeah, left-handed hitter. But he didn't throw. I mean, he threw right. He threw with his right, but he was he was a lefty hitter. So mm-hmm. obviously he knew what he was doing with his left hand, as did Ken. Yeah, yeah. So Ken Brett was drafted fourth overall, and then in the same year he was drafted, I believe, um, he pitched in the World Series against the Cardinals in in 1967, uh, which was which is pretty crazy that. You're 19, you know, pitching uh, yeah. in the World Series. Against the Bob Gibson-led Cardinals, nonetheless? Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't Like, imagine you. going up against that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, in all fairness, I, I guess he was a reliever, but you're, ni- I mean, you're 19 in the World Series. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. the only playoffs that happened at the time. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, back way way back then, there was no ALCS, there was no NLCS, DS, uh, wild card games, none of that. It was just you you have the best record in the AL or the NL, and you go to the World Series. That's it. Yeah, I mean, how boring could that have been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine being like the second place team, and it's like it's already over. It's like, well, there's one team left. There's no point in doing anything anymore. Yeah, the. I mean, I guess, I guess last year, if if it's still stay that way, it would be Dodgers Astros last year, and then uh, yeah, it would have been Dodgers Astros. It would have been Red Sox been Brewers. Red Sox Brewers in twenty eighteen, uh, Indians and Dodgers in twenty seventeen, Rangers. The Rangers would have been in twenty sixteen. Which yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> against the Cubs, against the Cubs, and then what? Fifteen would have been. Fifteen uh, would have been Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals, what? Um, was it Cardinals Royals or was it? No, it was Cardinals Royals. Yeah. Our yeah, rematch. the Royals did face the Astros that year. All right, we don't even match up the nineteen eighty-five World Series, which we'll get into later. That's mm-hmm. that's what you call a segue in the business, right there. That's mm-hmm. what you call a segue. Uh, but anyway, George Brett. Uh, so he was he was the youngest in this in this baseball field in this baseball family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he got pressure. I mean, I think his dad knew that he had talent, but he did not, he did not like his father because, uh, like, he would kind of compare him to his older brothers or examples he used was like, oh, you know, Ken wouldn't be doing that or Bobby wouldn't be doing that, which, I mean, I guess over, a, over years, that would really just build up and <laughs> create mm-hmm. crazy anger. Yeah. But, uh, and and uh, a quote that 
I got, it was, this was all from a uh, 1981 Sports Illustrated article that, um, so I just went to his Wikipedia page and I went to the first reference. So that's where I got the Sports Illustrated article. Crazy sources, Chris. The quote is, more than once, George has told the story. How he struck out twice in one game and endured that short, pain, short but painful drive up Mariposa uh, with a silent, furious father behind the wheel. I remember I got out of the car in my uniform, my head hanging, George says. And the next thing I felt was a foot coming right up my ass for embarrassing the family. That's, I mean, that's, that's tough. Yeah. I don't even like I don't even know how I could like play baseball under those circumstances. Like I like if I if that happened to me, I would come up to bat thinking about it every single time. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's uh I have an actually actually a story in my town that my health teacher told was this one guy he he got so much from from his father that he developed a drinking habit at like oh. 11 years old, which is extremely sad. Yeah. But he's at, he actually, uh, the, the silver lining of the story is he cleaned up and he's, he's got like a family in Alaska now. So that's good for wow. him. Shout out to that guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, that amount of pressure could really take a toll on you, but I guess, uh, I mean, I don't know. It might've, it might've technically worked. I don't know. Um, the father, he was not the greatest guy growing up. And, uh, I think, what George was, what George was saying in the article was that his father didn't want his kids to end up like him, you know, fighting, stealing cars, stuff like that. Probably, probably a good call by his dad there. Yeah, yeah, but you know, corporal punishment might go a little far, but you know, it's it's all right. And uh, George Brett also, he was very very undersized heading into high school. He was only like the the article said he was five one in his freshman year of high school, which is pretty crazy. Cause I think he was like six feet tall in the big leagues. Dang. That'd, that'd be, uh, that'd be like what? Five inches shorter than me. Uh, yeah, I, I guess five, that's pretty, uh, that's, that's, I mean, for reference, that's five inches smaller than Jose Altuve. Yeah. Take, take, uh, talk about late bloomer. That's... I mean, hey, if you want to talk about, like, you know, Jose Altuve was always, like, the poster child for, like, you know, hey, kids, if you're small, you know, that's not you, – you have hope because look at this guy, and that's kind of tarnished now. This is, this is the new one of those. George Brett's the new one. Yeah. Five, this guy is a Hall of Famer, one of the best third basemen of all time. Yeah. And even 5'1 in high school. And uh, it is funny when, when, I looked, when I looked this over, like, George Brett, like, he came out of – it's so prototypical, like California baseball player, like six players on his 1971 high school team went pro, which sounds is sounds about right. That's, that's yep. crazy. It was like El Segundo High School. It was like, uh, like right outside of LA or something like that. Yeah. But George, George Brett, like it is uh, interesting that he got drafted relatively high because his best high school season was he had a 351 average so it must mean that like he had the talent but I, I guess he just didn't really have the mentality at the time 
Well, I mean, hey, he was a five-tool player. So obviously, like, I mean, you know, in the majors, he could hit for average. He could hit for power. He was a great defender. Uh, he had an arm and he could, he could run. I mean, like he did, he could do it all. And I'm sure that was even more uh, out there highlighted in high school. So it, yeah. it does make a little bit of sense, but. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense, but it is. It's fun. not, it's not like the, yeah, it's not like the 607 averages that you see in like, you know, some crazy guy out in like Texas or Florida, or I guess California, but I mean, it's still, I mean, 351 is 351. Yeah, it's, but it is funny that he ended up having a higher average in a season as an MLB player than he did in high yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that was, that's something. But uh, then he gets, he ends up getting drafted um, in the second round, 29th overall, because uh, I guess there were only 24 teams at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, your, your team probably passed on George Brett. If you're watching this and you're not a Royals fan, uh, just live with the discomfort that you guys probably could have drafted George Brett, but you didn't. Yeah, unless you were a Mariners, Rays, Rockies. Yeah, exactly. Team that wasn't around, Diamondbacks. Yeah. Diamondbacks, other other teams. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, that's the that's George Brett coming up. Uh, li- grew up basically entirely in El Segundo, California, and. Um, then he, he, I guess he had a, for a guy who was drafted out of high school, didn't have the longest minor league tenure because uh, he started his, he got called up in uh, 1973. 1973. So, made appearances. yeah, yeah. So, you know, in his first year, he didn't hit the, uh, rookie spot yet but in his first year he goes five for 40 um but no one really no one really cares about that it's it's uh now we go into he's getting some experience before the next season yeah where you know he does all right i mean by the old school standards you know he hit 282 which isn't bad but uh he didn't walk very much only had a 313 on base percentage uh 363 slugging for a 676 OPS, but a guy that you could have at the top of the lineup, I guess. But he was a uh, <clears throat> sorry, I had chicken parm before this can lead to some weird gastrointestinal stuff. But yeah, his uh, yeah, his rookie season wasn't, I guess, the best representation of him. But he, but he kind I'm of third in the rookie of the year voting. Yeah, finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting. Played, uh, played 133 games. But then it starts – everything starts coming together in, in 1975. And I guess, you know, you can, you can break down George Brett's career into kind of different, uh, different eras, I guess. Um, and we're going to also get into the postseason stuff later. Chris, real quick, uh, the two people that George Brett lost to in Rookie of the Year voting in 1974, uh, Mike Hargrove from Texas and Bucky Dent from the White Sox. Oh, Bucky Dent. Yeah, heard that name before. Bucky Dent. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he made his debut at 20, 20 years and 79 days old. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty young guy coming up. Couldn't legally drink. Uh, could not, or maybe he could. I don't know. I think laws were a little different back then. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll look into that more. 
Yeah. And today out. you wouldn't be able to. Shout out to Mothers Against Drunk Driving and spiking up the legal drinking age. Um, but yeah, makes his debut at 20 years, 79 days old, and then these okay rookie year, but then everything kind of he starts looking like the George Brett that everyone knows uh, from from 1975 uh, to 1978. That was kind of his – he was just more of a contact hitter, wasn't really hitting home runs, but he was, you know, a contact hitting top of the lineup, speed, triples kind of guy. And, you know, he leads the league in hits in 1975 and 1976. In 1976, he wins the batting title – also in 1975 and 1976, led the league in triples. Um, yeah, he was definitely making a mark in the league. And uh, his average season between 75 and 78, uh, he slashed 313, 362, 478 for an 840 OPS. Uh, he also averaged 12 homers, uh, 36 doubles, 12 triples, 184 hits, and 18 stolen bases. One of my favorite stats from that entire era of George Brett's career uh, is in 1977, he had a 3.8 strikeout percentage, a mm -hmm. 3.8. Obviously, that led the league. The next closest was 4.7. Uh, but, I mean, you could not strike that guy out to save your life in 1977. He also put up 7.1 wins of replacement that season, uh, according to fan graphs, 22 home runs, uh, 88 RBI, 14 stolen bases, a 312 average, 373, 532. Uh, to round out the uh, slash line. But, I mean, yeah, George Brett was a hit machine pretty early on in his career. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he – at the time, he's kind of making his mark in the playoffs. But the the playoff – playoff George Brett we're going to get into after uh, we talk about the prime of his career, mm -hmm. which was when the home runs start coming, the more extra base hits start coming – uh, he's in the top of the MVP voting consistently. Um, Thousand only, OPS. Yeah, only only things that are holding him back a little bit are like uh, small little injuries. You know, in 1983, only, he only played 123 games. 1984, he only played 104. But and uh, 1980, which ironically enough was the season he won MVP. Uh, he was out for a month. That's probably when I've been researching this. 1980 George Brett has probably become one of my favorite seasons of all time, just to look at. Uh, I was going to say this later, but now that we mentioned it, I might as well just say it now. Uh, in 1980, George Brett had a 390 average. He hit 390, Chris. Uh, he also had 198 weighted runs created plus. He was almost double the average hitter in that season. And since 1942, George Brett's 1980 is the only season in the history of baseball, or at least since 1942, to have a 390 average and 170 weighted runs created plus. And he had 198. He beat that by 28 points. Yeah, it, it's, it's something to cherish. And, you know, when you just look at the – even like RBI, he averaged more than an RBI per game, which is yeah. wild. That's yeah. insane, I mean, That's this insane guy to consider. And you have to, and once again, like he missed a month. He played 80% of a season and was still that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I didn't even put it in the prep sheet. It makes me wonder what his average with runners in the scoring position was. But 
also like if you just go so his prime was 1979 to 1985 seven years of just pure dominance uh like probably high eights um low nines to a thousand ops how about a thousand eight how about 1118 in, in 1980 Dude, do you want to you want to hear his 1980 slash line with runners in scoring me. position? Oh, please tell me. So in 166 plate appearances with runners in scoring position, he hit 469 with a 542 on base percentage and an 815 slugging percentage for a 1358 OPS. 1358. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, big time players have big time hits and big time moments and that is George Brett in his prime. Yeah, and we're we're going to get into that but just going through those those seven those seven seasons also between 1975 and 1979 he led the MLB in triples, he was also fifth in hits uh and fifth in average. But but, but in that prime between 79 and 85, he slashed 324 393, 551 for a 944 OPS. Uh, in that in that time frame, he was fourth in wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. Uh, third in average, fourth in on-base percentage, second in slugging, and second in OPS. Uh, he was second because of a, a guy named Mike Schmidt. Uh, sure. That's a, maybe the greatest third baseman of all time. But but yeah, he was. Yeah, insane. And uh, 1979, he leads the league in hits and triples while whilst whilst hitting uh, 23 home runs with and getting a, a 939 OPS. But of, of course, 1980 is the season to remember. That's that's the anomaly. Mm-hmm. And we, in uh, our lifetimes, we might never see something like that from anyone, especially someone who misses a month in a season. I mean, 390, like 390 alone is the only person since uh, Ted Williams hit 406 to have come that close other than George Brett is Tony Gwynn also in a shortened season. Yep, yep. And uh, anymore. then uh, ni- 1981, I mean, the he was injured and also there was a strike, so he only played 89 games, had an 846 OPS. Still put up three wins above replacement, though. Yeah, yeah, and also got MVP votes. Uh, finished 27th in that in that race, mm-hmm. and then uh, 82, 884 OPS. Uh, in 1983, um, he probably would have been more in the MVP race if he didn't play 123 games, but uh, led the league in in slugging percentage with 563, and also led the league in uh, OPS with 947. But 1983. People might remember George Brett, uh, George Brett's 1983 season four. For one particular game. One particular game. Or maybe two particular days, one particular game. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, you, you see Daniel's, uh, did you hear that audio? By the I heard, yeah, in the background, yes. Uh, of yeah. course, the famous pine tar game, uh, you can't go into the baseball lore of history without hearing about this one. This is something that's never happened before. It still has not happened since. They, I guess even Michael Pineda 
isn't even on the same magnitude. That's really the only big pine tar incident that ever happened. But uh, George Brett uh, hitting at Yankee Stadium smothers his bat in pine tar. I mean, just covers it head to toe uh, with, of course, pine tar. Obviously, not that that gives him like a – it's not like the same effect of steroids where it makes him a better player. It just gives him a better grip on his bat. Uh, I don't know if he wore batting gloves. doesn't look like it. This picture, um, but he obviously had the pine tar on his bat. He proceeds to smoke a home run into right field of Yankee Stadium. Gets back to the dugout. The umpires start checking his bat, and they call him out because apparently he had too much pine tar on the bat. And George threw a meltdown for the ages. Uh, something you like? I can't picture one current player that would ever do something like what George Brett did in this instance. Yeah. So I'm gonna pull up the video. I don't know the. The ad is gonna play, so Apple is gonna get some some free some free yeah. uh, ad space. But here you go. How long is this ad? Shout out to Apple TV for that one. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna screen share here. Yes. I've never done this before. Um, what you got to go down, click screen share, and then it'll, and then your tab should be open. You just click on that. Your YouTube tab that's open. There right, it is. We are. So there's the home run. No doubter. So it makes it a five to four game. It was four to three Yankees. Now it's five four Royals. By the way, he did pretty well against Goose Gossage. Had an, had over a one thousand OPS against. Also a Hall of Famer. Against a future Hall of Famer, yeah. It takes a decent amount of time. So let's just do some commentary here. Uh, this game was played on July 24th, 1983. Uh, this controversy was so insane. The Royals played it under protest. They ended up postponing the game for another month because of this rule. Uh, I mean, like, Chris, what do you think it would take, like, in today's MLB to have a, to have a call that, that itself delays the game for a month? Like, what would have to happen for that? This is going to be an interesting call. Chris, can you hear it me? It won't allow me to uh, shut the audio off on the on the video. It's weird. I think you need it, though. Like, you need the audio of George storming out of the dugout. Well, yeah, but just for our commentary. Now I can't. No, oh, maybe. The Billy Martin is uh, uh, there yet? Yeah, sure is. Which might be an important decision. First time in a long, long time I've seen the umpires huddle this long and have a meeting over. We're going to see what's going to happen. They're going to. 
Here comes the decision. It's got a cross home plate. Oh boy. Wait, wait for it, wait for it. Boom. And here he comes. Here he comes out of the dugout. That's how, that was the final out, too. Yeah. So, uh, going off of what I just said, Chris, I, I asked you this while the video was playing. Uh, what do you think it would take in today's MLB to have a game postponed for a month because of a call like that? A call. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I, I wish, wish I had something that I could. I, I don't have anything. I think they've sort of polished the rule book up. But uh, one of my favorite things about this game, obviously, as you saw, the Yankees won the game after that call was made because that was the final out of the ninth inning. Uh, the Royals put that game under protest. They actually won, which you never see. Uh, and they got to play, they got to resume the game on August 18th, just under a month after the initial game was played. And um, the Royals ended up coming back and winning on August 18th. They won five to four because of the, uh, the makeup. So uh, because of MLB made that decision, uh, the Royals won an extra game that year. The Yankees lost an extra. Yeah. And uh yeah, I, I I looked up the uh, I looked up the, the situation. Apparently, apparently the guy reviewing it, I think his name is John McPhail with a PH. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing here too. Yeah, and I didn't even know that the that the pine tar rule was so that the ball wasn't discolored. I thought it was because of grip, but apparently it's. That's, illegal. I mean, that's why it's used. That's why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't you. You, I thought it was just like excessive, I guess, or mm -hmm. I don't, but apparently it's just because it kind of ruined the ball. <laughs> so, like, it didn't have anything to do with George Brett actually hitting the home run. And not only it, that, but like George Brett's not going up there like I'm gonna put pine tar on this so it ruins the ball. Like that's yeah. not his intent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Who's it's that? that sounds like some Trevor Bauer type stuff. Yeah, that's the. That was like uh, the funniest thing about it is it didn't really matter that much. I mean that that line of thinking really doesn't exist among players in 1983. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing with that. But yeah, that was a a highlight of the of the '83 season. Yeah, that's the or, highlight. I'm like of all of MLB, really, not even just like the Royals, not even just like George Brett, like. The whole MLB in 1983 was like the pine tar game. Yeah, I mean. It's still talked about on a daily basis. I've seen, you know, Chris Russo on high heat going over that whole thing uh, before. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I guess in a year where, like, the Orioles won the World Series, I mean, does it really matter? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, they had some people that they, we're not going to Eddie about Murray. This I'm is pretty a sure. Show. Um, um, you wanted to lead into his playoff moments, Chris. Well, some last, last facts of, mm-hmm. uh, of this prime era was, you know, he led – yeah, so he led in slugging in OPS in 1983 – had an amazing 1985 as well, where he uh, won the World Series. Yeah, he won the World Series, and just in the regular season, he finished uh, second in the MVP voting. Uh, he slashed 335, 436, 585, um, and with a uh, 1,000 with a 1022 OPS and as well as a OPS, 168 weighted runs created plus 8.3 F4. And uh, for the for the basic stats, thirty home runs, hundred twelve RBIs, so nothing. And one hundred eight really, runs scored. Yeah, one hundred eight runs scored. Um, ended up ended up losing that uh, MVP to Don Mattingly, who had a mm-hmm. nine thirty nine OPS. But ultimately, I you know just looking at it, I think Ricky Henderson deserved to win that MVP, and he finished yeah. third because he he had a nine thirty four OPS to go with eighty stolen bases. Yeah, to to go along with his nine his what was that nine eighty four OPS nine nine thirty four but still nine thirty four to go along with that he's also Ricky Henderson <laughs> yeah yeah I mean obviously people thought differently back then and that's understandable I mean I'm sure if we had that two thousand twenty mindset then maybe that turns out differently but regardless George Brett like he's he will go down in time forever as a great baseball player no matter which way you look at it if you want to go with the more analytical side like we do if you want to look more traditional. Uh, you can't deny George Brett's talent and his ability. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thank God I found this mute button on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, so this will lead into his his playoff moments. For those Mm -hmm. unaware, it was the Royals and the Yankees in the ALCS, like, I think it was four times total. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So George Brett got very used to the Yankees. And uh, he had a lot of he had a lot of clutch moments or just kind of moments in general uh, with those uh, with those pesky Yankees who you know they ended up taking the whole series in, in seventy seven and seventy eight they went in nineteen seventy six but George Brett was not a cause of any of that no. uh, because you know his postseason resume kind of just starts in nineteen seventy six. It's game five. Royals are down six to three. Uh, and it's the top of the eighth. And here we go. What an angle. <laughs> what a swing. By the way, uh, one thing I love about 70s, 80s baseball, great use of powder blue. It's my favorite uniform. Yes. 
They're trying to bring that back this year. They should. Uh, I mean, it just like it just the Rangers. Worked. The Rangers put out some uh, baby blues. The Cardinals did it last year. The Phillies did it last year. The the uh, what else? The Twins are trying to bring it back. Like I'm, I am all for it. And yeah. the Royals are kind of the primary like baby blues type of team. Uh, you know, they have the the only like I'd say primary blue teams in the league are like the Royals and Dodgers. But the Dodgers don't really have any alternate uniforms. The Royals do, and all of them look really nice. And I mean, you know, these uniforms here are the, in the background. Yeah, yeah. The blue, the Blue Jays also used powder blue back in the day. Um, yeah, I have one big pro and one big con with uh, with seventies and eighties baseball. The con is all the turf fields just make me feel weird. Yeah, like all the domes. Yeah, like just. I, I get that. Just doesn't doesn't feel like baseball, you know. But, yeah. Well, I'm sure it did back then. Not that we would know. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But it, it just, it seems better with with the absolutely cut no, grass. So yeah, that's that's where George Brett kind of just introduces himself to the world because no one, you know, it's '76. I mean, it's the Royals. No one really knows who he is yet There's nationally. No national television. And then, boom! Three run homer ties the game, but the Royals end up losing. Uh, seven to six in that one, and uh, not only that, but ESPN also wasn't even founded, so it's not like there's like a platform they, when they can like promote him. Oh yeah, yeah. He kind of just exists in Kansas City, and that's about it. Mhm, mhm. And uh, so yeah. Oh crap! I totally messed that up, but yeah. Um. Then, 1978. Uh. 1977, he uh, he was in the playoffs. He didn't have really many big moments, but he did hit 300 in the series. So it's not like he wasn't contributing, just didn't have any crazy moments like he did in, in 1976. And then 1978, uh, 1978, it's crucial. Uh, game three, uh, I believe the series was tied 1-1. And, uh, and yeah, he... He's out of the leadoff spot, and team needs runs. George Brett is going to give you runs, and, you know, he's going to do it all on his own. So this is what George Brett did in nineteen in the 1978 ALCS Game 3. Old Yankee Stadium just seemed like everything was on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people complain about, like, it getting torn down, and I get it because of, like, the tradition and stuff, but, like, it would not be – it would not be here's, as pleasant a place. Here's number two. Home run number two. Yep. That's his second at-bat of the game. That was – uh. That was like on the low outside corner, and he took that right out to center, which is really impressive.
that that what a performance call you can hear on uh, MLB Networks, uh, like their intros. They have that. Oh, for what show? MLB Tonight. Might be a, I, I might be MLB Tonight. Maybe, maybe maybe they don't do it anymore. But I do remember hearing that on MLB Network a lot in like some of the intros. I don't remember exactly what show. So yeah, it might be like or it might be like in the promos, like the commercials and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does sound like something that. Yeah. That uh, is on one of those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I, I'm not recalling. I, I have to look back at the game log, but I think they actually ended up losing that game. I mean, That's tough. <laughs> you know, he, you hit three home runs. I mean, I guess there was no what one else. On. Could you, yeah, what else could you possibly do? <laughs> but yeah, for for the day, you have, you know, I, you did. He did have more at bats that day, but for the day, you have like a three thousand OPS <laughs> or better. Well, that, yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I was I was about to add a point, but it wasn't valid. Uh, so go ahead. It's it's your turn. <laughs> well, okay. I'm looking for the result of this game because I'm actually kind of yeah. curious. Um, I mean, uh, the people in New York got a real good sense of who he was. Like he was he was like the the first or not? I guess the first, but he was a bona fide Yankee killer. Yeah, he was. You know what. He was basically like uh, like David Ortiz is looked at now, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of in a way. I guess like Ken Griffey Jr. as well. Yeah, yeah. Ortiz was mostly in 04, but yeah, Ken Griffey kind of turned it up. Uh, mm-hmm. 1978. Yeah, they ended up losing that game six to five. <laughs> uh, they, well, did he have, were they all solo home runs? Yeah, they were all solo. Which yep. is understandable because he was a he was a leadoff hitter at the time, and mm-hmm. I guess no one no one in the seven eight nine spot was was going to get on, and yeah they lose the series in in four games, it's that's three matchup three matchups in George Brett's career against the Yankees in the playoffs three losses, and definitely not George Brett's fault. I mean no. in the, in the seventy six series he had a twelve fifty four OPS. In the 77 series, he had an 833 OPS. And then in the 78 series, a 1444 OPS, which, you know, you're doing everything you can. And then, but then in 1980, the uh, the tides, the tides are a turning because yeah. in, ni- in 1980, uh, you know, they, they're going, they're going to New York again. Uh, but I believe they have, a better record than New York this time, but, uh, but yeah, they actually, they win their first two games against the, uh, against the Yanks. And then, uh, and then they're down, they're down in game three, down two to one in the late innings. They bring in Goose Gossage who, you know, Goose Gossage is an established closer. He's he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. That's all, that's all you got to say. And this is Goose Gossage pretty much in his prime. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is before the Pine Tar incident as well. Uh, so Goose Gossage versus George Brett is a great matchup of just like, like hard, like tough personalities. Yeah. And like, obviously, you know, you think George Brett's personality, you think of this, this right here, uh, you know, him storming out of the dugout, Goose Gossage. You know, he's, he's lashing out at somebody every spring training, it seems. You know, like whether he's going at Cashman, whether he's going at 
you know, any, any, the commissioner, whoever, he always has, says something at spring training that just gets him in the media. It's never anything positive. Yeah, I think he's gone off on, like, millennials in general <laughs> as a generation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, he's yeah, here. Fantastic pitcher, but he's also the, like, old man yells a cloud type of guy. So, George Brett versus Rich Gossage. First pitch of the at-bat. Hammered. Up the upper decks. Pants, I love it. So yeah, that's that's game three of of the ALCS. They win that game. Finally, when George does something good, they finally win a game and they've won the series. They are in the World Series. Against Mike Schmidt and the Phillies. Against fellow the a great counterpart, uh, you know. Basically both. the two, like, primary third basemen of the 80s, like George Brett and Mike Schmidt. And fittingly enough, both won the MVP that year in yep. their respective leagues. Um, and yet, but unfortunately for George Brett, uh, they end up losing the game, losing the series in, uh, in six games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett, you know, he didn't have the clutch home run moments, but he did hit uh, – or no, he – he had 370 in the other series, but I think he still had pretty good numbers uh, in the 1980 World Series. You know, I think it was more pitching to blame than uh, hitting per se. So yeah, you know that's that's him in, 19- Brett in the 1980 World Series. Ah, he had 375 in that World Series. Yeah, okay. So yes, and uh, and one home run. Yeah, so he. Uh, yeah, he was he was clutch, and you know it continues later on in his career. Uh, in the nineteen eighty one playoffs, he didn't he didn't do great. And that was they, that was the one where they got him. That was yeah, the opening. Uh, uh, nineteen eighty four also, uh, they didn't do great. But like, yeah, the rest of the lineups didn't do great either. Um, and uh, but then in nineteen eighty five. The, the old George Brett shows back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Brett, you know, that's also coming on on the heels of a season where he had a 1022 OPS. He was second second in the MVP voting. And then, uh, you know, game three of the uh, game three of the ALCS. So they're down the team is down uh, two games to none. So they definitely need a win. Uh, you don't want to go down 3-0 because, you know, at the time, uh, no one had uh, no one had come back from 3-0 before. At the time. That's just saying at the time. It's changed since then. But at the time, no one had come back from 3-0 in a playoff series. So, uh, <clears throat> so George Brett, um, you know, you want 
you want your players to show up in a big game like this. Uh, and George Brett is your best player. So, you know, you want, you want that to happen after a 15 second ad from Invisalign. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is, this is the year. Yeah. So in the 1985 Royals, you know, we'll get into this after, after these clips, but you know, they were kind of a miracle team in a way. Well, yeah. And All right. So let me screen screen share this. This is the first inning. This is the first home highlight we've seen. All right, down. All right, here, here they are down five to three, um, in the uh, bottom of the sixth inning. There's a runner on base. I love I love the uh, the anti Maple Leaf sign. Canada. So yeah, George Brett comes up in the clutch again, does it again, and uh, they end up winning that game. Then they end up losing Game Four, and they come back from three uh, one yeah. to win. He wins, and in that game went four for four. Uh, you know, obviously two home runs, three RBI. And uh, in that series, he won the ALCS MVP uh, for obvious reasons. He slashed 348, 500, 826 for a 1326 OPS. Usually also, do it. Yeah, also three home runs and five RBI. You know, honestly, like when I look at like OPS, this is just a little, little side note. Barry Bonds's uh prime ruins like ops form. it does like every leaderboard it's like oh there's barry bonds like four times well like yeah and when i look like obviously george brett had a spectacular alcs but on the bond scale <laughs> he's no he's he's not he's like right there with bonds for an entire season <laughs> in his in his age 36 through 39 seasons nonetheless yeah brett's George Brett's, you know, best seven games. He won. He won MVP of a seven-game series. It was still like, it was still ninety uh, points lower. 90, Ninety-four. Wait, what's the math? Fourteen twenty-two. Ninety. Yeah, ninety-four, ninety-six points below his, Barry Bonds' two thousand four season. So yeah, that's a little sidetrack. Um, but yeah, George Brett, they. They end up, you know, winning the series. Then they go to the World Series. Uh, he doesn't have any crazy big moments, but he did hit uh, 370 in that series and probably scored a lot of runs. Yeah, he hit 370 with a 452 on base in the World Series. So yeah, definitely, how baseball ref says he has negative win probability added. Which I don't, how can you really do that when you go 10 for 31? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know about that one, Jim. But yeah. 11 total bases. I guess he had 10 singles and a double, but or nine singles and a double. So, uh, yeah, and one, uh, one thing that uh, we, we both watched the uh, 
the MLB Network special on the 1985 season. They were the the Royals were the only team in baseball history to come back from a three-one game deficit yeah, twice in one postseason. So that like this team, I mean, much like their their counterparts, the 2015 Royals, like absolutely resilient, didn't quit. Like, that's kind of just – that's the embodiment of a great Royals team, and this one was led by that man right there, George Brett. Yeah, it it makes sense. And also that World Series – that World Series had some controversy because – It uh, sure did. In game, in game six, there was a – there was a perhaps missed call. Um, yeah. Definitely yeah. – Well, it was a missed call. It was a missed call. It was a missed call. But, you know, it wasn't the only thing that – you know, there were other things that escalated after the call. It's like the, uh, it's like the uh, um, uh, Steve Bartman thing. Like, yep. <laughs> like, but I mean, uh, it's, was... it's the Cardinals, so it definitely doesn't carry as much weight as the the Steve Bartman did thing did, where it's like the Cubs uh, went on eighty years. But my my yeah. comparison is, yeah, Steve Bartman had that thing happen, but there were also an, a culmination. Yeah, like there was an error by the shortstop. I think. Yeah. You don't just blow a three nothing lead because of one. Exactly, it's a lot. And um, one of my favorite stories that I've heard about that call was okay. So for those of you that don't know, this was in Game Six. Uh, the Cardinals were was this the ninth inning? Um, yeah, it was the I think it was the ninth inning. It was late in the game. Uh, the Cardinals had a one run lead, and the the last or like one of the people from the Royals uh, hit a hit a ground ball to the second baseman or the first baseman or something like that. And, you know, they throw the ball to first base, guy's out, or at least should have been called out, but the, the guy was called safe, despite not being safe. And the Royals went on to get a base hit, uh, come back and win the game. And a lot of controversy went on that play. And the Royals uh, obviously end up winning the series uh, in seven games. Uh, so, and that's like a lot of, sort of the turning point, I guess. And, um, I watched a documentary about um, the Armando Galarraga perfect game, the imperfect game, as we call it nowadays. Of course, Jim Joyce making that similar call that cost a guy a perfect game. Uh, and I saw an interview with Jim Joyce afterwards where he was talking about that call. And the first thing he did was he called up that umpire. I can't, I can't tell you his name right now, but he called up that umpire and said, hey, I just made a call that I'll make you forget what you did. That is that's crazy. Yeah. That's yep. Yeah. That's a. Uh, that's that's definitely. Worlds collide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. They're like same cool. type of play too. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then the Royals just ended up crushing them in in oh, game yeah. seven. Um. Just a eleven to nothing bludgeoning, <laughs> but unfortunate. And then, and you know, luckily the Royals were able to win that World Series, because in George Brett's career, they did not end up making another postseason. I mean, if you're going to end it one way, I wouldn't mind it being that. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, but yeah, George Brett, a legend of the postseason. Chris, you have his slash line. Would you mind uh, reciting that? So in the postseason, 337, he slashed 337, 397, 627 for a 1023 OPS. That's in 43 games. Basically a quarter of a season. Appearances. And uh, had 10 homers and 23 RBI in those 43 games. And for mm -hmm. many of those games, he was a leadoff hitter. So 23 yeah. RBI is more is even more impressive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, 
really impressive player in the regular season, a really impressive player in the postseason. Yeah, even even more impressive, which is yeah. hard to do when you're Mr. George Brett. I mean, so then probably getting pitched around a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because you know, obviously the best guy in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, from so that's that's the that's the second era of George Brett's career. So the third era is between 1986 and 1990. He was just kind of a consistency machine. He was just consistently like high eights OPS. There's one outlier, but I'll just like list off his OPSs in ni- from 1986 through uh, 1990. 881, 884, 898, 793, and then back to 902. Uh, and yeah, he also 42 games, and he also won a batting title that year. Yeah, also won a batting title in. in he won three of them. He won a batting title at age 23 and at age 37. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. That's crazy. I wonder if that's like the. Also, that same season, his 30, age 37 season in 1990, he led the league in doubles, 45 of them. Yep. Led the entire MLB in doubles, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously he was he was getting older in this 1986-1990 era. So uh, made the switch to first base in 1987. Um, and uh, this was also the year where his All-Star Game streak ended for 13 years in a row. Between yeah. 1976 and 1988, he made the All-Star Game. And... Uh, and yeah, and then uh, that the year that the year that that um, that that streak came to an end was 1989, and uh, that was the only time the Royals got anywhere close to the playoffs in this in this era. They went 92 and 70, and they were uh, second in the AL West. Um, maybe maybe if they had that record six years from from then, maybe they would have gotten into the playoffs as a wild card team, but did not. Uh, there were only four playoff teams at the time in the MLB, and yeah, so kind of a you know what what would you what do you, what do you have on that on that era of George Brett? I mean, like you know, obviously every player, every great player has their declines, but George Brett's definitely was not as steep as most. Like you look at a guy like uh, I don't know, like Albert Pujols right now, like he's a great player, going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and right now he's like struggling to be a you know above replacement player. George Brett was not like that at all. Uh, I mean, in his last season, uh, 266, 312, 434, 746 uh, overall slash line. Obviously not exactly what you're looking for, but certainly not terrible. Like, that's definitely serviceable from a guy uh, who's, in his, his, who's in his age 40 season. Yeah, that's definitely a producer in the lineup. Definitely not a guy that you're putting in there because of, you know, pressure from, like, the fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy was – guy was consistent the guy was able to be serviceable and then yeah then we have uh he also he also entered the 3000 hit club during that during that time period so then yeah from from 1991 to 1993 uh he kind of gets into the you know ride into the sunset mode he becomes a dh um you know his his slash line from ninety one to ninety three was two seventy three twenty three four eleven seven thirty four, which is you know still I think you know still respectable certainly. I think that was that would probably be a, like the above average you know average in OPS yeah during that time frame, and then uh, and then in nineteen ninety two, 
in uh, one of the last games of the season, uh, it was actually his fourth hit of the day. He becomes the 18th member of the uh, of the uh, 3,000 hit club, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna show you that here on the show to be named later. Thank God, you know, for, with George Brett, we have all the video because you know not all not all the players on my list we have actual video of which you know this is what's this is what makes this an, an extra special show today yeah. when we do our old house radborn show we're going to struggle to find some video on him oh yeah for <laughs> sure this is a road game by the way yeah then Cleveland, it looks like. Uh, well, I saw Wahoo hat. at Angel Stadium. Angel Stadium, okay. Yeah, you're right. And there it is, in the right. By the way, how fitting is it that he got his three thousandth hit on a day where we went four for four? Look at that! All of his. This is a road game. They're putting up fireworks. So yeah, there's there's a three thousandth hit. It it actually kind of makes sense because there were probably some like high school teammates there because he was like kind of yeah, yeah. I guess near where yeah, he was yeah. in high school. I know like L.A. is a big city, so it's not exactly. Well, they were the California Angels at that time, so obviously still in that area. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, so. Yeah, George Brett, that's in 1992. That's his second to last year. And then he uh, climbs up climbs up the rankings in 1993, ends up getting, uh, ends up getting 3,154 hits, which I believe is 18th all-time right now. Um, yeah, 18th all-time. Yep. And uh, then he actually got uh, picked off after – after getting that 3000 hit which i'm not going to i'm not like, going to show like Biggio when he got his 3000 then he got thrown out at second base yeah it's but being picked off is even that's that's tough yeah that's tough that's more definitely more embarrassing but hey i mean that's a story right you get your 3000 hit and then you're right back right back in the dugout but yeah it it was in the it was in the uh, seventh inning, and I believe they already had a four nothing lead. So I guess it didn't impact the game, and they weren't yeah. they weren't contending. No, and it was late in the season too. Mhm, mhm. And uh, and yeah, so in 1993, he uh, ends up. He actually had 19 homers that year. Which yeah, is, which I found pretty interesting. Um. And yeah, then he retires. He gets a single in his last at bat, um, but you know, and then and then he retires. Mm -hmm. And uh, some some inter one interesting story that I learned in researching um, in researching George Brett was that he pretty much created the phrase Mendoza line. Yeah, 
which of course is is named after Mario Mendoza, a uh, guy who played. Honestly, Mario Mendoza is more famous with his Mariners career, but uh, but certainly, uh, he didn't even play for the Royals. Yeah, I guess he was his just career. Tall. Well, hey, his career average is two fifteen, two forty five, two sixty two, five oh seven. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was above the Mendoza line one, two, three, four times in his nine-year career. Which is fitting. I guess it does make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's – I didn't realize he created that. That's interesting. Uh, I'll, I, I'll continue on here. He was also inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame first ballot in 1999. He had 98.2%, which, which at that time was the fourth highest percentage that anyone had ever gotten. Uh, Chris, we had we so in our whole eight-page prep sheet. This next thing you wrote here was probably my favorite thing in the whole prep sheet because I was gonna write, I was gonna say this exact thing. George Brett is Royals history. Like he is the embodiment of the entire Kansas City Royals franchise. He still, uh, he still is very much involved with them as like an advisor, things like that. Um, but he leads the Royals in wins above replacement, offensive war, games played, at-bats, plate appearances, runs, hits, total bases, doubles, triples, home runs, RBIs, walks, singles, runs created, extra base hits, times on base, sacrifice flies, intentional walks, and win probability added. He is the embodiment of the entire Kansas City Royals franchise. Anytime you have a trivia question where it's like, what Royals player did this? What Royals player leads that? The answer is George Brett, unless it's single season home runs, because Jorge Soler just broke that last season. Yeah, if it's sorry, Mike Moustakis broke it two years ago. Yeah, if it's if it's career, uh, if it's career Royals records, yeah. odds are George, George Brett, Brett has it. And yeah, what angered me about the I found it on Baseball Reference, and they had like they had a a couple of random guys leading in like average and oh, like OPS. not. Yeah, yeah, guys that were there for like three years, maybe. That's annoying. I think it was like Jose Offerman. Jose Offerman, wow. Who wow. was a Red Sox player and has been referenced on this show that we like. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, George Brett, yeah, he is Royals history all time. He is 18th in hits. He is sixth in doubles all time as well with a 665 total. And, uh, and all-time among third basemen, um, he is fifth in wins above replacement, and that's including uh, Alex Rodriguez on the list, even though he was a shortstop for about half his career. So he's fifth uh, in that category, and then uh, also among third basemen, third in hits, first in doubles, and third in triples as well. So, yeah, George Brett, you know, very, very – very good. You have some. Uh, you've got some particular, particularly, very good uh, stats on on George Brett, just as reflective so I, on his whole career. I, I got like five or six uh, different really impressive statistics that I found on George Brett. Uh, from 1940 to 1985, George Brett ranked third among AL players in WAR through their age 27 season. Uh, the only two people above him were Mickey Mantle and the recently late Al Kaline. We will get to him uh, momentarily. Uh, but, I mean, third best AL player in war through age 27. I mean, he got it going really early. Uh, age 27 is ideally like when you're supposed to start your prime. Uh, George Brett had already done a prime by that time, which is amazing. 
Uh, only two players, this is on baseball reference, only two players in the history of the Kansas City Royals have, accu- have accumulated half of what George Brett did for baseball reference wins above replacement. He had 88.6 B-War. Kevin Appear and Amos Otis had 47 and 44.8 respectively. That's the only people that even got halfway to where George Brett was uh, in Royals history. Uh, five of the 10 best seasons uh, in terms of F war among Royals players belong to George Brett and the top three uh, were George Brett seasons. And my lot, my, my last George Brett uh, stat here is in 1980, of course, my, one of my favorite seasons of all time now, uh, after returning from his injury. So he left on June 10th and he came back on July 10th. So he missed exactly a month after July 10th, he hit 421, 468, 696, with a 10, with an 11.78 OPS after returning from injury. And one thing I should also mention is in that 1980 season, he was at 400 until yeah. I believe it was September 19th or September 20th. Uh, he was like, he was going to be the done guy it. that, that uh, reached Ted Williams's thing, but, um, you know, couldn't hold on because he probably went like one for three a couple of days. Yeah. Brought his average you down. can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> One for three with a walk. One for three with a walk. That's going to bring your average down, George. <laughs> you can't have that. Um, so yeah. that is that is George Brett. Chris, do you have anything else you want to add? Not much. I think I think we laid it all. I think we laid it we all, laid out, it all there out for the audience. Uh, the undisputed best player in Kansas City Royals history. Yeah, uh, literally. Never go down that way. Literally, the Royals. Uh, franchise started in 1969 and he was drafted in 71 yep <laughs> so that's yeah, i mean he is mr royal he is he is royalty yeah and <laughs> yep yep or <laughs> he's royalty literally. but like you know it's I mean, sad like, thinking literal baseball royalty like team name aside yeah that's george that's guy like and a great name too george yeah. brett george like, brett just love for, it. it's like yeah who the guy from El Segundo, California. That the guy who raced out of the dugout after smearing his bat with pine tar. That's George Brett. Freaking George Brett, dude. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's sad thinking about it now, but in the age of where free agency is more popular and guys are getting more money, which is good, George Brett today, probably he spends six years with the Royals and then uh, isn't really able to re-sign because the Royals are kind of a low-budget team and then – you know, he yeah. goes somewhere else, which is, you know, I guess sad to think about, but, you know, it's, it's true because, you know, you think about uh, the, the latest era of Royals, um, yeah. you know, the 2014, 2015 bunch. I mean, mm-hmm. Eric Hosmer. They didn't, they didn't necessarily have that type of superstar. Yeah, like, they didn't have a superstar, but they didn't really keep a lot of talent and some for good reason, like for good reason, they let Eric Hosmer go. Well, sure. The only um, one that's really still kicking around is Alex Gordon. Yeah, Gordo. Uh, they, yeah, they were able. They were able to keep him around his whole career. He was always kind of high profile. Yeah. Because uh, he was drafted pretty high. Mm-hmm. I do um, want to. I'm gonna. I'd like to uh, take a break in between. Yeah. George Brett and uh, so yeah, let's pause the record. So, yeah, we're gonna pause this recording and uh, we'll be back in the snap of a finger. Welcome back to the Showed Me Name Later. I mean, that was a crazy quick break right there. I mean, everyone, 
Yeah. Literally, I told you guys we were going to be back in the snap of a finger. We were right yeah. back. And uh, so, yeah, before we get into the 2012 Tigers as advertised, uh, you know, we'll start on a more somber note because uh, a legendary Tiger was recently lost. That's right. Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, uh, he passed away a few days ago. Uh, this past Monday, in fact, uh, he died of natural causes at the age of 85. Uh, tough loss for the baseball world. This one hurts. Uh, you know, we can talk all we want about how great of a player we was. We can get all into the statistics. But the real thing that matters here, Al Kaline was a great guy, the perfect embodiment of just how you want to be as a person, especially with that kind of profile. Uh, I'm going to read off some stuff here. Uh, Justin Verlander, obviously legendary Tiger. We're going to talk about him. Uh, in just a few moments, he posted on his Instagram saying, quote, such a kind and generous man who meant so much to so many. I hope you knew how much we, I enjoyed our conversations about baseball, life, or just giving each other a hard time. I, I am honored to have been able to call you my friend all these years. RIP, Mr. Tiger, Al Kaline. Yeah, and Mr. Tiger is right. I mean, I think he, uh, I believe he spent his entire career with the franchise. He won the 1968 World Series with them. He did, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you played twenty two years. Uh, but yeah, all that all that aside, yeah. From what we're hearing, very good guy, uh, gracious guy, good for the general Tigers community, and uh, definitely a tough loss. Yeah. Um, but that <clears throat> leads us into the twenty twelve Tigers. Also, I mean. I guess it should have been addressed at the beginning of the episode, but the what we're doing, we have a list of 30 all-time players and 30 all-time teams. One team for each franchise. One team for each franchise. Um, we're picking, we're, we're assigning those teams numbers, then the other will pick a number, and uh, and then the uh, the number. <clears throat> God, chicken parm. Chicken parm can really do it. All that carbs. It was, oh, yeah. It was a chicken parm grinder, so all that bread and stuff. I mean, it just really doesn't doesn't do well for a uh, for a podcast. But, yeah. Um, where was I? Yeah. Uh, the 2012 Tigers. 2012 Tigers. But, yeah, we're, uh, we're, picking, we're picking a number, and uh, whatever that number is, whatever team or player is. Lines up in a random number generator. We are talking about that. So, yeah, we should we'll, – we'll stick to picking – we'll just pick the number instead of doing, like, random number generator. Well, yeah, but, like, I have, I have a defined list here. Like, I, like, it's the same list, but I did it one week, and that's going to be the list for the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. yeah, it's not like a – we're not doing a different list every time. Exactly. Or anything, or anything like that. But yeah, so the 2012 Tigers were the Tiger are the Tigers team that we are looking at. Um, this is a team that was coming off of an ALCS loss to the Rangers, uh, and obviously they wanted it bad. They wanted that title. Mike Illich was their owner. Uh, he, a lot of people sort of criticized Mike Illich for some of the stuff he did, but you got to credit that the guy wanted to win. He did everything it could possibly take uh, to put a winning team on the field. I mean, you see both of these guys in the background behind me. He got them. Like, that was his doing. They didn't – they weren't drafted by the Tigers. They weren't brought up uh, by the development system. 
That right there was Mike Illich. That guy and that guy. Both of them. Yeah, and uh, Mike Mike Illich was – Mike Illich and Dave Dombrowski were, were at it mm-hmm. uh, big time in the offseason from – so I guess we should address the 2011 Tigers. The 2011 Tigers, uh, they – they made the playoffs. They uh, had what ninety five wins that year or something like that. Yeah, it was in that ballpark. Yeah, and uh, they beat the Yankees in the ALDS and then lost uh, to the Rangers in the ALCS um, in six games. And like that twenty eleven Rangers team was very yeah. very good, and it's a shame uh, that they weren't. That's one of the biggest tra- tragedies in all of baseball is that team. Yeah, I mean, like, we might, you know, I don't know, but we might have an episode on them. But you're talking about Beltre, Hamilton, uh, Nelson Cruz, Mike Napoli. Mike Napoli, like, at his best. Uh, uh, yeah. Colby Lewis. Elvis Andrews. Every, like, a ton of, a ton of guys. Back to the topic at hand. Um Yeah. This is a team that wanted it bad, and they went out and got Prince Fielder. Uh, they signed him to a pretty big deal from the Brewers. Uh, he came over and kind of just continued doing what he was doing over in Milwaukee when he hit Detroit. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nine years, $214 million, And I right. believe they got him because uh, the news about Victor Martinez being out for the year, mm-hmm. uh, I think that came out before, like – in, in, like, December. I think they signed Fielder in, like, uh, January or something like yep. that. Yeah. So, yeah, Martin, and Martinez was a big contributor to that offense. They got him uh, for the 2011 season um, on a four-year deal. But uh, he was he was out for 2012, so they got Fielder, and he was a very, very good replacement for them. And this is a team that came into spring training with high expectations. Obviously, you win the division. You come up short of the World Series. The goal is to – get to get over that plateau, get to the fall classic. And, you know, when you're asked to, obviously that's obviously a really tough task, but when you're not going to have one of your best hitters in Victor Martinez, that already steps it up, the challenge up a little bit. So for Dave Dombrowski and Mike Illich to go get uh, Prince Fielder was huge for that organization. Uh, also Jim Leland, I just like to mention, he was the manager of that team. Absolute legend guys, a veteran of the game. Uh, he's, he's been managing as recently as 2017 with the USA World Baseball Classic team. Uh, that guy knew how to win. Uh, he was uh, he did the early 90s Pirates, uh, as well as, obviously, this era of Tigers. Yeah. That's what he was known for. Yeah, and he, he knew what to do with his, his personnel. I mean, he, I, I bet he would – I think he's a guy that would, that would kind of do well in, in pretty much any era. Yeah. Like, and it proves that, you know, he was able to – get them they they won the division four years in a row uh here in kind of this modern baseball game even though he was really really old guy and He's i guess 75 he, right now yeah oh 75 right now not not in 2012 he would have been what like 68 in 2012 that's i'm wow i thought yeah. he was i thought he was a little older no yeah okay so yeah maybe maybe uh, I'm, i mean hey uh, 75 is like I mean, for a baseball manager, obviously not that he was. Oh, so yeah. that means in 2017, he was 72, managing the World the World Baseball Classic champion team, USA team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jim Jim Leland, definitely a guy you want leading this, a very talented team. I yeah. Mean, if you just want to go like, 
freaking, you got Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder. You got Justin Verlander coming off an MVP season. You got – Did they acquire Max Scherzer that season too? Um, no, they got him uh, – 11? Either 2011 or 2010. Okay. Max Maximus Scherzer. Max Scherzer. Uh, I don't know if he was a mid-season. No, they got him. They got him before 2010. Yeah, so this is his third season, uh, with Detroit. But he hadn't. He really hadn't hit yet. As this is like the beginning of like Max Scherzer, and even then, it's not like that Max Scherzer. But like, it's he had. This is to this point. This was probably the best season he had had. Yeah, and so in in 2010, in 2010 he had a three five ERA with them, which was you know very good. But then he he took a step back in 2011 yeah. with a four four three ERA. So that the Tigers faithful wasn't really they weren't really uh, too sure of him. Mm-hmm. Kind of a wild card, maybe like a back end of the rotation type of guy. Yeah. So uh, what do you want? Yeah, I mean, we could we could get into Max Scherzer's uh, season later, but kind of the the testament of the Tigers, you know, they kind of started off pretty slow just to go over the regular season. I mean, like they started, they had a good April. They were like, they had a good start to the April. Yeah, yeah. it is funny because I do remember uh, their opening series with the Red Sox. Yep, I got I got into that. Trust me. Yeah, it was a. Uh, yeah, they swept the Red Sox to start the season, but then they went eight and eleven for the rest of the month. I'm gonna spoil something here. Uh, I put together like a list of regular season highlights for this team, and I was like, when I, I went through every single game that they played uh, in that season, all 162 of them, and I looked at every single one to decide like what was worthy. And I was like, before I did it, I was like, all right, I'll I'll put together like 10, 20 games, not too many, just like the big highlights. All three of those games are in there. All three of them. Um. So yeah, basically, the season over overview. They were, um, they were under five hundred until July sixth. They were mm-hmm. so that would, meant they were forty one and forty two at the time. They started the season thirty nine and forty two, and then uh, then on July fourth, like true patriots, That's right? They started to they started to turn things around. You know, that's that was the start of like a a six game win streak. They went. From July fourth through July twenty second, they went thirteen and two. Um, that stretch being thirteen and two, that brought them from four and a half games behind in the division, behind the White Sox, to one and a half games ahead. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it brought them. I mean, a six game difference, which back from the you know, back from the dead, essentially. Yeah, it's basically like a kind of pretender. Yeah, pretender to contender. Uh, in the span of 15 games. Uh, then they go ahead July 23rd. They trade for Anibal Sanchez and Omar Infante. Omar Infante, you know, he was kind of a uh, at-replacement level player, but Anibal Sanchez was contributing for that team and continued to cr- contribute to that team uh, right. afterwards. Um, and then they kind of went a little cold uh, after that 13-2 and stretch heading into September. And then uh, from September 11th on, uh, they went 15 and seven uh, to finish off the year. 
And with 16 games left in the season, they were three games back of the White Sox. And uh, with the combination of them doing well and the White Sox finishing terribly, they were I'm able to uh, win the division with a three-game security. Uh, this team wasn't exactly like the dominant force in the regular season like everyone would really think them out to be, especially from a team that uh, went where they did. But this yeah. team had to grind through a lot. Um, they had to, of course, make up that much ground. It's three games in, in two and a half weeks, uh, and they did it perfectly. I mean, they did it in a spot where they, they clinched the division like on the last Friday, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, October 1st. Yeah. Like, October 3rd. And if it weren't for the White Sox finishing 5-12 and 12 that year, yeah, you, you think – The White Sox have never really recovered from that. Yeah, they, they haven't. they terrible ever since. Yeah, because I – I I don't have very much memory of 2012, so obviously I had to go back yeah. uh, and see this. And when I saw that the team that they were contending with was the White Sox, I was like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. The Jake Peavy-led White Sox. Yeah, Jake Peavy. I mean, I guess Chris Sale there. But but still, like, it's uh, that that was something that kind of struck me. Yeah, no, it's definitely it was definitely a bit of a surprise to me for me as well to see that. But, you know, they end up being an 85-win team at, at the end of the day. So, you know, that's that's kind of what, what defines them. Do you yeah. want to just go over the uh, the regular season highlights? I would love to. Um, so I had, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. A little over 20 games that I highlighted here uh, in the season. And it starts – with game number one, Austin Jackson hit a walk-off single uh, against the Red Sox on opening day at Comerica. After Jose Valverde blew the save, Verlander went eight innings pitched, zero runs, two hits, seven Ks, and one walk. Uh, magnificent, magnificent start for Verlander uh, en route to his first start since winning the MVP. Uh, in the second game, he uh, well, they went they won ten to nothing against the Red Sox. Prince Fielder and Miguel Cabrera both hit two home runs. Uh, of course, that would be Prince's first two home runs in a Tigers uni. Definitely and, forecast Josh Beckett's uh, 2012 season. Yeah, yep, he started that game. Yeah. And in the third game, they won 13-12 in an 11th inning walk-off against the Red Sox. They scored three runs in the ninth and three runs in the 11th. Alex Avila hit a walk-off home run, and Miggy hit a game-tying three-run home run in the ninth. Yeah, that ruined that ruined my Easter for sure. Chris, you want to you want to uh, get into some personal stories there? Uh, I mean, I you know didn't necessarily ruin my Easter. Easter's a pretty good holiday, by the way. It's a shame that we have to be quarantined. Yeah, yeah, my mom makes this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of pineapple souffle, but it's just great. It's this great dessert. Like it's not even a dessert thing, but it's it's great. I mean, it's great. You know, spring dessert. Yeah. Thing as well, you get like. Uh, more lemon stuff. We have lemon cookies. Nice. Uh, then we, along with dinner, you get ham, you got spoon bread. But yeah, that was during Easter. And I remember, uh, I actually had, there were, there were too many seats in the dining table, dining, dining room table. So mm -hmm. like we kind of had to be off to the side anyway. So we, we had like a mini table where I could watch the game and, and eat Easter dinner at there the same go. time. But yeah, I remember like that, that was like the one day in my life I thought Vicente Padilla should have been like a starter for the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. The, and also I remember uh, Adrian Gonzalez got thrown at that game. 
Oh, dang. Yeah, he he hit a home run, and I guess he looked at it a little too long, and, and then he, he got thrown at. I mean, that's yeah. how it goes. I, I forgot about them blowing a lead in extra innings, which is terrible. Yeah. Very yeah. fitting. Um, 2012 Red Sox there for you. Uh, so jump forward to May 4th. Uh, Johnny Peralta hit a two-run walk-off home run against the White Sox. The Tigers won that game 5-4. to four. Uh, It was with one out in the ninth. Uh, they were losing 4-3. to three. Johnny Peralta proceeded to uh, play the hero for the Tigers. And what you're going to see is a lot of different – I mean, obviously you're going to see a lot of Miggy. You're going to see a lot of Verlander, Max Serger, uh, Prince Fielder in these, uh, in these I guess, uh, highlights here. But, like, this team did get a lot of contri- contributions from a lot of different players. And Johnny Peralta – uh, another one of them, sort of a forgotten uh, guy on that team. Uh, on May 18th, Justin Verlander came two out shy of a no-hitter against the Pirates. Uh, Josh Harrison hit a single uh, with one out in the ninth. But Verlander ended up finishing that game. His final line, nine innings pitched, one, no runs, one hit, two walks, and 12 strikeouts. Chris, do you have any comment on that one? Uh, <laughs> nine? Wow. Do you know when the uh, – oh, yeah. Yeah, two out, sh- two out shy of a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of – that's Justin Verlander 2011, 2012. I mean, like, I guess, you know, 2012 doesn't get the same respect because, A, uh, you know, by tra- traditional measures, he went from 24 wins to 17 wins, which is yeah. like – you know, he's still, you know, when you still win 17 games, but still, I mean, the, the ERA didn't go up that much. Um, I think the strikeouts were relatively the same. That's, that's just pure dominance from, from Verlander. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's primed. Like, and obviously Justin Verlander is still kind of in some sort of prime, but that was, that was at his, like, you know, his peak when he was like the guy and nobody could ever touch him. And like, you'd always, I remember in 2011, uh, I went to Baltimore uh, to see the Orioles play the Tigers. First time at Camden Yards in my life. And, like, weeks before, I was trying to track, like, uh, if, Verlander, if Verlander would be starting that day. What did we get him? What did we get him? We missed him by one day. He oh. the day before. Yeah. Tough. I don't even remember who we saw, but it was not someone as significant. Of course, I wanted Verlander, uh, but that didn't end up happening. Yeah, I remember, uh, speaking of of missing things, the grade – Above, so every year, our eighth grade, mm-hmm. it used to be a thing, but uh, not anymore. Our eighth grade uh, year, we would get to go to D.C. And then, like, one night, you got to do kind of a spe- special event in D.C. So the grade above me uh, went to a Nationals game, and they got to see Kershaw in 2014. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. And, he, and I think he, he threw a – I know he allowed zero runs. It might have been a CG shut piece. Oh, I saw I saw Kershaw's CG shut piece once. Oh, wow. Uh, City Field, what? 2015. He had a perfect game throw going through six, and then Curtis Granderson hit a leadoff single in the seventh. That's nice. That's... That was like days before the Mets acquired Yohannes Cespedes. Uh, yeah. Going back to the Tigers, May 27th, a 4-3 win against Minnesota in Minnesota. Miggy hit a two-run go-ahead home run in the ninth. Uh, blow, obviously, blown save against Minnesota. Uh, comeback win. Going forward to June 17th, Max Serger. Uh, eight innings pitched, zero runs, seven hits, zero walks, 12 Ks against Colorado. 
June 17th, note that point. I'm going to point out later that's Max Scherzer's turning point. Yep, yep. Uh, June 21st, uh, for the sole reason if we need to get a 2013 Red Sox reference in here, Quinton Berry hit a walk-off single in the 10th against the defending World Series champion St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yep. And the notes you put in parentheses, 2013 Red Sox, and I was like, and I was like, wait, that this isn't 2014, but now I understand. Yeah, now I understand what you meant by Quentin that. Quentin Barry, and yeah, Quentin Barry as well. That's the whole. Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. At first, I thought you meant like uh, it was the Cardinals, and oh, oh, because they faced the. But yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. Sure. Okay. Um, on July 9th, Prince Fielder won the home run derby. People forget. Uh, so funny. Two-time story. winner. Yes, that's right. He did. This is his time he won with the Tigers. So funny story, Chris. Uh, the other day, MLB Network played that home run derby. On a, they played that home run derby. And I was like, oh, I might as well watch this because, you know, like Prince Fielder, he won it. We're talking 2012 Tigers. This is 2012. So as Prince Fielder is hitting, I'm watching the broadcast, and they have none other than George Brett doing an interview. They had him doing an interview. I was like, well, this wow. is just a slide right here. Well, yeah, it makes sense because, you know, it was, it was Kauffman Stadium. Exactly. But. So uh, we're going to get back into George Brett for a second here. I was watching his interview. He talked about um, how what they were interviewing him about, like, the whole All-Star Weekend in Kansas City. And uh, they, he talked about uh, the Futures game because he was obviously in attendance for it. Uh, he watched it, you know, in person. He talked about how much how great of an experience it was. And he said that he was really impressed with the, with the talent that was on those rosters. And uh, just to name some people on the rosters, uh, Garrett Cole, Jake Odorizzi, uh, Jamison Tyon, Tyjon Walker, Zach Wheeler, Nolan Arenado, Nick Castellanos, a future Tiger, Scooter Jeanette, Manny Machado, Colton Wong, Michael Choice, um, Christian Yelich, Will Myers. And that's the USA team. Some notes from the world team. RIP Jose Fernandez, he was on that team, um, as well as... Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, Jurickson Profar, Gene Segura, and another sad note, Oscar Deveres. Uh, so that's some of the talent that George Brett got to watch uh, in, that, in that Futures game. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, I would be very impressed too if I was, if I was there. Uh, so the next day, uh, July 10th, uh, Justin Verlander got the start for the AL in the All-Star game. Uh, we're not going to talk about how it went. Just yeah. kidding, yes, we are, because there's something I do need to go over. Uh, he gave up five runs in the first inning. Not great. Uh, three of those runs were scored on a triple by some guy named Pablo Sandoval. I mean, don't know who he is, but for him to get something like that off Verlander in a big setting, just crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, – That really never happened, right? Also, probably like – that was probably like a, uh, a blind squirrel finding a nut. Like, yeah. you can't He'd rely on something like that happening right. again. No, 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 no. Uh, but you know what? Verlander hit his stride again on July 15th. Eight innings pitched, zero runs, three hits, two walks, eight Ks against the Orioles. Pretty good. Uh, August 4th, Doug Fister, nine innings pitched, one run, the one run being a ground out scored in the ninth. Four hits, zero walks. That's, that's anticlimactic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, August 5th, this is the one right here, Chris. So this is probably the game of the year for the for the 2012 Tigers. So we have a video. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna briefly explain. 
Uh, I'll, I, will, I won't say exactly what happens because you'll see it in the video, but the Tigers were playing the Indians in a game. It went to extra innings, tied at five. Uh, the Tigers had already been trailing 2-0, 3-1, 4-3, and 5-4. So they were trailing a lot in that game and had to come back a lot. And the Indians proceeded to score three runs in the 10th on home runs from Travis Hafner and Ezekiel Carrera. They also had a double from Lou Marson. And Chris Perez uh, came in for the Indians and retired the first two Tigers hitters. So, like, they may as well have been dead at that point. But then something magical happened. And, Chris, you're going to play the video and skip to the 1 minute 30 second mark. 1.30. There you go. All right. So, it's 8 to 5, bottom of the 10th. Chris mm-hmm. Perez in, who was a respectable closer at the time. That's right. Um, shows you closers' lifespans. Did you expect anything else from Miguel Cabrera when he stepped up in that situation? God, that guy is such a good swing. Right? It just, it seems, it looks so effortless, and it just, the ball it's just beautiful. goes so far. And this is when he was, like, on his own level. Of, like, he was the best hitter of that generation. Yeah, sure. we'll get we'll get into the stats later. But, yeah, August 5th, now you're getting a sense of, like, this this team could be something. Yeah. August 15th? Uh, the Tigers win 5-1 to one versus Minnesota. Nothing too crazy happened, but uh, Miguel Cabrera hit his 30th home run of the season. He hit it in the middle of August. <laughs> no, that's, that's all I had to say there. No, no, no juice baseballs either. Not at all. On September 1st, Serger went eight innings pitched, zero runs, one hit. Or no, I'm sorry, four hits, one walk, nine Ks versus the White Sox. And the next day, Verlander followed that up by going eight innings pitched, one run, four hits, two walks, and 11 Ks. Just back-to-back utter domination days from uh, Tigers starting pitching. Uh, on September 18th, 12-2 demolition of the 84 and 63 Oakland A's. Uh, A.J. Griffin started that day for the A's. Remember him, Chris? Yes. Slow curveball. His ERA went from 194 to 245 that day. Miggy had two home runs, including a grand slam and six RBIs in his three-for-four day. Mm-hmm. Um, September 22nd, you got Doug Fister once again. A complete game shutout with seven hits, zero walks, and seven Ks against the Twins. Uh, yeah. You have a few days later on September 25th, Anibal Sanchez, nine innings pitched, zero earned runs, another complete game shutout. The, the, the second complete game shutout, shutout from a Tigers pitcher that week, and it wasn't even Verlander or Serger. Uh, three hits, one walk, 10 Ks against the Royals. Yeah, it was appropriate that that happened because the 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 pitching like in September it it, pro- it progressively got better and in September particularly the entire staff uh, had a 3.10 ERA which was their best 
ERA uh, month month wise. Yeah. Um, and they probably did better uh, as starters. I'm I'm double checking on that, but yeah, go uh, go with October October first. October first, the Tigers defeat the Royals six to three, and they clinch the American League Central. They're there going. We go. They're going to fight for another chance, and this could be the year. October third, they shut out the Royals to complete an 88 and 74 regular season, enough to get them to the playoffs and win the division. And there you have it. There you have it. That's those are the highlights uh, from those are the highlights from the 2012 Detroit Tigers. It's obviously a turning point uh, there. Yeah, Tigers starters in in uh, September, two four eight ERA. Yep. And uh, yeah, I would guess I would guess that probably led all of MLB. Uh, it would be it would be good to assume so. It would be good to assume so. You never want to assume things, but make your estimations at home. It's probably what happened. Um, or at least led the AL. And yeah, it definitely led, definitely led to some future success. But we're gonna take a little deep dive into the uh, statistics of the 2012 Tigers. Uh, Justin Verlander heading the rotation yet again, having another spectacular season, and. I mentioned it last episode. Uh, if you know, I I believe that uh, Justin Verlander probably, in hindsight, should have won that Cy Young uh, for the second second. Uh, yeah, for the second consecutive year. Um, Price had a two five six ERA, which was better than Verlander's, but Verlander uh, had a two six four ERA and pitched twenty seven more innings, um, and uh, had a higher had a higher B war and F war than David Price, uh, but Verlander, 238 innings pitched, 264 ERA, 294 fielding independent pitching, six complete games, uh, and his Baseball Reference WAR was 8.1. His Fangraphs WAR was 6.9. Uh, he also had only one month out of the six, uh, only one month with an ERA higher than three. And even that month was just a th- was uh was in August. It was just a three five three ERA. Yeah. So it wasn't even an extremely bad month. It was very good actually. <laughs> so uh, Verlander was not the only pitcher to shine. Um, he he was you know he was the more consistent one, but uh, Doug Fister and, and Max Scherzer had both had a surge in the second half. Scherzer had his surge a little earlier on. Max Scherzer from June 17th on, we mentioned that, we mentioned that date uh, earlier in the program, from June 17th on, had 117 in the third innings, uh, 2.53 ERA and 4.6 uh, strikeout to walk ratio. Fister in the second half of the season after the All-Star break, uh, pitched 101 innings, had a 2.67 ERA and uh, 6.21 OPS against all very good numbers and to top it all off uh in the second half um in the second half of the season after the all-star all-star break obviously justin verlander max scherzer and doug fister were were all top five in the american league in f war and top six in the mlb yep they all had uh i think they had all wars above three so yeah, those top three 
were great to have, insane to have. All guys that had ERAs under three in that second half. And then you also add, on July 23rd, you also add Anibal Sanchez. Uh, Anibal Sanchez, since that acquisition, was very good. 3.74 ERA. I mean, not elite level, but still a very productive, you know, at the time, four guy. Uh, and uh, 3.74 ERA and 74 and two-thirds innings. Uh, the team pitching obviously improved from the first half to the second half. Uh, the overall team, four ERA in the first half, and then this, in the second half, they had a 3.5 uh, ERA. And also, um, they were the they were the only team. <clears throat> sorry, if I talk for too much, voice drives out a little bit. I'll but, take this one, Chris. I'll take this one. Here we go. They were the only team in the league, in fact, to have three pitchers with an above three F4. And they had four of them. No other team had three. They had four. Matt, uh, like Chris mentioned, Justin Verlander had a 6.9 F4. Max Serzer had a 4.5. Doug Fister, a 3.5. And a guy we haven't even mentioned, Rick Porcello, he put up three F4 that season. Yeah. Yeah, Rick Porcello, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a glory. Like, he didn't have a great ERA. But the guy, yeah. as always, innings, innings eater. And Particularly about Fangraphs, Fangraphs War loves innings eaters. You know what's tough? Uh, I just realized. So, Doug Fister did not qualify for innings that year. He had exactly 161 and two-thirds innings. Oh, yikes. He needed one more out to qualify. That's tough. That's that's real tough. That's very oh, tough. Man. Literally one more out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, at some yeah, at some point, like sometime like in May, Jim Leland he was probably pulled him from like a day game too early. He yeah, like on that one extra out, even if he gave up like another like one or two runs, he still could have gotten that one out and qualified. So yeah, obviously the pitching, uh, the pitching kind of, pitching kind of led the way in a way, but the offense was still very good. Uh, the pitching was more highlighted in the in the postseason, but we'll get to that later. Obviously, there was one batter in particular in particular that stole the show. If you think 2012 Tigers, you think Miguel Cabrera, you think Triple Crown. Triple That's Crown, right. you know. First person to do it since Yaz. Yeah, first to do it since Yaz. And uh, for those unaware, that was in 1967. So it had been 45 years since a Triple Crown winner. And uh, Miguel Cabrera was was able to do that and no one's done it since either yeah and that was he almost did it again the next season if it wasn't for chris davis and his 53 home run year he would have done it again the next year too yeah yeah um and that's chris davis with a c by the way yes shockingly Um, enough yeah because it is funny because uh chris davis with a k kind of messed with jd martinez and yeah you're right you're right yeah so (laughs) different chris davis is with uh with with the triple crown. But yeah, that was also thanks. Miguel Cabrera had from July 4th on had 28 home runs and 74 RBI. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly. I mean, yeah, he definitely turned it on in this, in that uh, from right. July 4th on. And uh, he wasn't the only guy in that Tigers lineup to do it. Uh, Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder from July 4th on were top two in the, in the AL in uh in OPS Miguel Cabrera had a 1090 OPS f- 
from July 4th on, and Prince Fielder had a 1023 OPS from July 4th on. Um, Miguel Cabrera obviously wins the MVP, triple crown, um, and, you know, beat a guy beat a guy out named Mike Trout. Uh, there's, you know, there's a conversation to be had with that MVP race, but, you know, this is yeah. this is a pro Miggy episode, so we'll we'll hold off. But uh, Miguel I mean, Cabrera, it took, I mean, if you win a triple crown, like, come on, it's tough. Like, what, like, what more could you possibly do? You could be Mike Trout. Yeah, but that was Mike Trout rookie. <laughs> yeah, that was Mike Trout rookie. People weren't so. expecting it out of him at that point. Yeah, but Miguel Cabrera, he had five multi home run games, and uh, like Dan- when Daniel sent me this. This was this blew my mind. Sixty-four multi-hit games. Yeah, it's forty percent of about. It's thirty-nine point nine, thirty-nine point five percent of games he had multi-hit, which we're just going to call that forty percent. Forty percent of his games he had at least two hits. Yeah, that that's a guy. Yeah, that's a guy you can definitely rely on, especially in in key situations. He, uh, you know, and Miguel Cabrera in key situations, you know. Luckily, his team was able to set him up a lot. He was third in plate appearances with running, runners in scoring position, and it was a, he, he was the guy you wanted to have up with runners in scoring position. He batted three fifty six uh, with runners in scoring position, which is probably why uh, he was able to get 139 RBI yep. um, to, to uh, help win that Triple Crown. So, yeah, Mickey and, Mickey and Prince Fielder were – the main contributors of the lineup. There wasn't much else. Uh, two guys I'd like to point out. Um, Austin Jackson, he had, uh, and I'd like to apologize to Austin Jackson because in the last episode I, I mentioned him and I was like, well, you know, Austin Jackson, he probably wasn't that great. He actually had a pretty respectable year. Uh, you know, he started out better than he ended, but overall slashed 300 377, 479 for an 856 OPS. Definitely, you know, a quality, quality season. I think uh, he he was definitely like top four in team war. I'm I'm pretty sure. And then uh, and then Andy Dirks, um, he uh he had injuries li- limit him. He only played 88 games that year. Um, up until that injury, he had a 328 average with an 894 OPS. Um, and ended up through the entire season with, with an 857 OPS. And uh, I believe he got to play in the playoffs as well. Yep. That's right. So, yeah, that's uh that's kind of the breakdown of how they were able to win um, and kind of that turnaround as well. That's right. So, yeah, that, that leads us into the playoffs. Would you like to get into the playoffs? I would love to. So, uh, game one, they faced the Oakland Athletics, a team that they uh, they committed demolition against uh, in that game on September 18th, I believe it was, right? Yes, it sure was. Yes. Uh, the A's, this is a term that was coined last October by, I believe it was Kevin Cash. Uh, the A's got Verlandered. Simple as that. Chris, do you have the line? Um, well, I, I know just off the top of my head he went – Seven innings, one earned run, 11 strikeouts. That's all you uh, need to know. That's all you really need to know. Yeah, I mean, in a playoff game, you're winning nine times out of ten with that line. Yeah, they, they only needed to score two runs. They ended up getting three runs. 
and they win that game three to one. Luckily, the bullpen holds up. The bullpen holding up was not really a theme that uh, that series. Game two. It's never been a theme with the Tigers bullpen holding up. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that's one thing I didn't realize it was gonna come up as much as it did in 2012, but it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, game two, actually, uh, kind of a an interesting one. I didn't really remember it that well, but a lot of lead changes in that yeah. game. Maybe maybe like one game two of the 2012 ALDS between the A's and the Tigers. Maybe one like you'd like to rewatch if the quarantine classic, maybe. Yeah, if the quarantine goes long enough. Um there was a big error by Coco Crisp that I that mm-hmm. I forgot about. Yep. Um that was a key part of that game. And then uh the Tigers end up winning five to four because in the ninth inning, uh Don Kelly gets a gets a sack fly. Don Kelly. Wow. To win that game. Wow. That's a name I forgot about. Yeah, yeah. Him and Andy Dirks were like the uh, the resident, just random outfielders of the, of yep. the Tigers. Um, and then in Game Three, they they go to Oakland, which I'm realizing now how I don't know how long they had this going, but having the team with the worst record start out hosting is one of the stupidest things. Yeah, ever. Never understood that either. Yeah, and luckily they went back. I think, I think they went back like I don't know the next year. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it was 2013 because yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe they like brought it back because that was the first year of the wild card, the, the wild card game, and I guess they didn't want too much travel. But yeah, that's uh, that was weird. Um, so yeah, they go to Oakland, and I guess it worked to the Tigers' advantage. They go to Oakland. They get blanked. Uh, mostly by Brett Anderson. I think he went six innings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the bullpen helped shut them down. Uh, it was – who pitched that game? It was uh, – was, I think it was Anibal Sanchez. Or, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was Anibal Sanchez. And uh, Sanchez, you know, he had a pretty good game but um, was unable to get run support. And then in game four – Game four, they're up three to one. Uh, Max Scherzer had a good game. You know, he only went five and a third, but bullpen is able to hold up. They're up three to one in the ninth, and uh, Valverde drops a big hot dump immediately yep. Yep. all over that game. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have the the play by play up here. I probably should, but like basically immediately. <laughs> It was just base runners, more base runners. And then uh, then he got two quick out. Then he got two outs. And then uh, the winning run came in. And, yeah, Valverde had, uh, had a rough postseason. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll – uh, I'm actually I'll, – I'll look up the um, – That was uh, – Max Serger started that game. He went five and a third. Uh, one run – Three hits, eight strikeouts. He did pretty well, just didn't go too well. Octavio Dotal uh, held it held it down, and so did Phil Coke uh, for the sixth inning. And then Al Albuquerque came in and pitched one inning. Um, my favorite Al Albuquerque story was uh, some dude called into Mike Francesa's show and started, like, talking about him, and, and Francesa thought he was getting punked. Like, he didn't think that was a real name. 
He's like, oh, his name is Al Albuquerque. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's and funny. Another Al Albuquerque thing. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, but game two of that ALDS, that's when he kissed the baseball mid-play. Yes, that's he right. Got a, he got a comeback. Come back to the mound. And he kissed the baseball and then <laughs> tossed it to uh, Prince Fielder. Okay, so Jose Valverde was that was that the year that uh was 2012 a year that Prince Fielder like reached for the foul ball and then like reached into the stands and ate some dudes nachos as well. Um, that or was, was that 2013. I, I'm not sure. It was one of those two years, but either way, this team was just a weird group of people. Yeah. So in in uh in that bottom of the ninth in 2012, uh, here in the in game four of the uh, ALDS. In the bottom of the ninth, it starts out with a Josh Reddick single. Uh, then Josh Donaldson comes up and doubles, moves Reddick to third. Um, then Seth, Seth Smith uh, comes in, and uh, he hits another double at driving both those runners in to tie the game. Then uh, Jose Valverde is able to uh, get George Kataris to uh, pop out. And then he strikes out Cliff Pennington uh, on a strikeout looking. But then Coco Crisp, they're back at the top of the lineup. He hits a single to right field uh, to secure the victory for the A's. So now we're moving on to a game five. Yeah. And back in uh, Detroit, right? Uh, no. No, it's still in Oakland. I'm sorry. It's still in Oakland because of the stupid rule. Yeah, I forgot about rule. that. But yeah, the, um, you know, Obviously, you're mad that you're in a in this situation, but luckily, I mean, I feel like in a situation where you blow the clincher, I think you don't really come back from that a lot. A lot of the time, yeah. And I mean, think I mean, about it, like the, uh, I mean, I guess the counter example would be the, like the '75 Reds. They blew a yeah. They blew a three-run lead in Game Six, and then they won Game Seven. But you think about like. The 86 Red Sox, they blew a couple leads in game 85 six. Cardinals, like we just talked about. Yeah, 85 Cardinals, uh, the 2011 Rangers. That's Sorry to mention that again. To say. Uh, but the Justin Verlander went out and did it. Another complete game shutout, Chris. Yeah, CG shut piece, nine innings, four hits, one walk, 11 strikeouts. Um, no runs. And, uh, an 89 game score, which uh, I, I don't know. I'm not very, like, uh, I don't it's have good. a great graph. We haven't, we haven't touched on game score too much on this show, but that's good. Yeah. The average game score is, like, 50-something. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, Justin Verlander, he uh, he actually set the ALDS record for strikeouts at the time. And uh, guess who that got recently who, – who recently broke that up? Let me hear it. Uh, Garrett Cole. It was Garrett Cole. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, it was Garrett Cole who uh, he got 25 strikeouts in the most recent ALDS. Um, Verlander had 22. If there was an ALDS MVP, it's definitely going to Verlander. Yeah. But uh, Tigers starters in that series. Also, not to mention the the Tigers won that game six to nothing, so they they had a bit of a a lead. Uh, late in the game but Tigers starters um, as a whole in that series uh, 34 and two-thirds innings five earned runs that's 
that's a one two that's a one three zero ERA, uh, twenty nine hits, ten walks, and forty one strikeouts. Verlander specifically had sixteen innings, one earned run, seven hits, five walks, and twenty two strikeouts, which, as I mentioned, was an ALDS record at the time. Yep. So they're the uh, they're the three seed at the time. They have to go over and New face York. the one seed who had just battled the Orioles uh, for in a in a five game series. So yeah, they they're facing the Yankees. And uh, do you want to get into game one? Yeah. So game one, uh, unfortunately, was this the game when Derek Jeter like tore his ACL or whatever it was? Yeah, this is when it happened. Yeah. That I mean, obviously, you never want to. You never want to compete against a team without their best guys. You want the, you want that your best versus my best. Um, but in that game, uh, the Tigers won six to four in twelve innings. Uh, the Yankees, in fact, scored four runs in the ninth. All four of the runs the Yankees scored were in the ninth inning. Uh, yeah. Valverde could not could not do it that that postseason really. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, oh. the the game tying home run was Raul Abanez. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, Yankee Stadium was a rockin'. But uh, Tigers ended up actually pulling it out because um, of uh, partially, I guess, you know, it did happen with, like, one out. There was a kind of a miss misplay on Nick Swisher's part in right field. Yeah. There was a line drive. Um, he didn't, I guess, take the most efficient route to it. But I think the Tigers would was around, it would, it would not have been a good route efficiency. Yeah, it was. it was probably, like – in the fifties or something, but yeah, he, uh, kind of misplayed it, but I, I think if he even played it right, if, I think the Tigers probably still win that game. Cause that was pretty yeah. early in the inning. Um, so yeah, now they're, they've stolen a game on the road. Uh, it's one Oh in the Bronx and, uh, then they get, <clears throat> then they get Anibal Sanchez Center. on the mound for game two. And uh, yeah, a shutout four nothing win. The runs coming from a Delman Young RBI. The it was zero zero until the top of the seventh. Delman Young hit an RBI ground out. Then Avisel Garcia, believe it or not, he played for this team for a little bit. Uh, he hit an RBI single to make it two nothing, and then Miggy hit an RBI single to make it three nothing. Uh, this was uh, let's see, Sanchez went seven innings, three hits, three walks, no earned runs, seven strikeouts, and then Phil Coke uh, went two innings. I guess that's what happens when you don't have Valverde out there. Yeah, and Hiroki Kuroda was yep. doing yep. his absolute best. He went – he was perfect through five innings. Got his relief. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, Hiroki Kuroda was uh, was perfect through five, and then he allowed a base runner in the sixth. Uh, he eventually got uh, taken out. And then, uh, yeah, I think he got taken out in the seventh. And then there was a failed double play that resulted in a run for the Tigers. Uh, mm -hmm. Rob, Robinson Cano couldn't handle a, a transfer, and uh, Tigers score there. And then, as you mentioned, the uh, the, the relief, the singles, and the and uh, Boone, Boone Logan, Jabba Chamberlain, and um, Clay Rapetta combined. All three of them combined to pitch a whopping zero point zero innings. All three of them. <laughs> Couldn't get it out. They each faced one batter, couldn't get it out. And <laughs> let's see, Logan and uh, Chamberlain both gave up hits. Rapido gave up a walk and then left. And then finally, Cody Epley, 
uh, came in and got four outs uh, to uh, stop any further damage. But I mean, it was already done. Three nothing. Tigers win. Two. When it was two nothing, going back to the. I remember this personally. When it was two nothing, going back to Detroit, I knew it was over. Like especially not having Derek Jeter. Yeah, it just seemed. seemed it felt like bleak. destiny. Uh, like, and, then he, and that was without uh, Verlander even pitching. Yeah, and that was, you know, that was uh, that those Yankees were like that was the last good team to come out of that like um, yeah that crop of like new free agents like of like Shara uh, Cano, Branderson, Sabat. Well, I mean, Sabathia was on a few good teams after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Russell and, uh, Martin was on that team. Ichiro was on that team. Eric Chavez. Probably Banez. Eduardo Nunez was on that team. Yeah. He started, he started in one of these games. Uh, he had I mean, a home run. Yeah, he did. He yeah. did hit a home run. Um, but yeah, that leads us into game three where uh, the Yankees got Verlandered. Although I don't know, I don't know if you'd call it a Verlandering because you know, Verlander kind of pitched to contact in this one. He only struck out three batters. This, but, was this the game where uh, Donald Trump famously tweeted, like, the Yankees look terrible against Verlander, and that's been, like, reused, like, every time they face the Astros in the playoffs now? Oh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not very aware. I'm pretty of, sure it is, because I remember I see that tweet every October when the Yankees play the Astros. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's like, the Yankees look terrible against Verlander. What are we doing here? And it was this game. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, the... I think Trump is a Yankee. Would technically be a Yankees fan too. I mean, he was at a, he was at the famous Carlos Beltran game in two thousand six, though. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I guess he's just kind of. He's kind of just a New York baseball guy. He's just a he's just a TV sports guy. Yeah, or or like uh, he's probably a fan of whoever's playing in the swing states now, just strategically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Go Indians. Go Reds. <laughs> go Indians and Reds. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> go Phillies and Pirates. <laughs> go Marlins and Rays. And Rays. The only person <laughs> in the world saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. For either side. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, game three. The Yankees lose two to one. Eduardo Nunez hit a home run in the ninth. That was the only Yankees run. And then the absolute nail in the coffin was game four. There was absolutely no life shown from the Yankees, like from the jump. Yeah, it was. Oh, great. It was, uh, it was delayed because of rain one day. So the Yankees' fate lasted one extra day. It was yes. Sergio versus Sabathia. This game was a big yikes. Uh, the Yankees had two hits. One of them was a Nick Swisher RBI double. Yay. Eduardo Nunez was like the best hitter for the Yankees in this series. Yeah, not enough people are talking about this. <laughs> he had a he had a one uh, five OPS, fifteen hundred, pretty good. Oh yeah, love to see that. Um, Delman Young won MVP of the ALCS. He hit three fifty three with an eleven eighty six OPS. Um, yeah, six RBI game, as well. An RBI single in the first. Uh, Avi Garcia hit an RBI single in the third. Miggy and Johnny Peralta both homered in the fourth. Austin Jackson homered in the seventh, and Peralta homered again in the eighth. Yeah, it was uh, it was all it was all Tigers in that game. And that's yeah. it. The Tigers are going to the World Series. As you mentioned, Delman Young was the MVP. He uh, yeah, he had three fifty three with eleven eighty six OPS, two home runs, six RBI. 
uh, Johnny Peralta actually had a higher OPS by 13 points, but uh, only got three RBI, but also two home runs. So I guess those guys were in contention. The Tigers, you know, I guess contrary to a position player winning uh, the MVP of that series, the Tigers starters combined uh, 27 and a third innings, two earned runs, uh, 14 hits, nine walks, and 25 strikeouts. In the ALDS and ALCS combined, you combine those two series, the Tigers starters had a 102 ERA through 62 innings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, starting pitching was dominant on all sides. I mean, the Tigers pretty much did everything right during that series. Like, there was not one, there was not one thing that didn't go well for them. Like, yeah, 2012 through, 2012 through 2014 Tigers were kind of defined by their starting pitching. Yeah. I mean, like, you have – remember 2014, they had, what, Verlander, Serger, Price, Porcello, and Sanchez, who all have World Series rings now? Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. It's they all do. Wild to think about, but, Bad. you know, their, their bullpen definitely stunk, and their offense was a little compromised. So then you get to the World Series. The Giants, by the way, uh, the team they played, of course, they had just come back down 3-1 against the Cardinals. Um which I was, I remember being like thinking about like a 06 rematch, uh, but that didn't happen. And I knew like the Tiger or the the Giants were gonna have all the momentum, and also they get to host because the NL won the wild card game that year because of Justin Verlander. All star game. You said you said wild card game. Oh, I I did. Yeah. Game. Well, you know what yeah. I meant. I mean, because this was back when the all star game determined home field for the World Series, and Justin Verlander is the one that gave up five runs in the first. And now he's got to go pitch on the road because of that. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we mentioned how the starters did well. It uh, didn't really carry over, at least nope. for the first game. So, first inning, Justin Verlander gives up a bomb to Pablo Sandoval. What? Yeah. Kind of a uh, – guy who got him in the All-Star game? Yeah. No way. I don't know if you guys remember I, – I hope you took note of that name earlier in the episode. But, yeah. Well, I mean, he only got him once. Like, he can recover from that, right? Well, unfortunately, in uh, what I believe was his second plate appearance, it was his second plate appearance, right? Yes. Uh, Pablo Sandoval takes him deep again. Again. Yeah. Nice. And Barry Zito also hit an RBI single in that in this game too, as the starter. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a rough rough day for Verlander. I think he went four and a third. Uh, what do you get? Five, six earned runs. Yeah. The The Tigers end up losing that game uh, eight to three. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in game two, the uh, it's kind of a pitcher's duel between uh, Doug Fister and Madison Bumgarner, but like pretty much all postseason games, that battle was won by Mr. Madison Bumgarner. It was. Uh, I think he, um, seven innings pitched, two hits, zero runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. Yeah, so... And Santiago Casilla and Sergio Romo uh, finished off the deal. Yeah, the, the, one, the one chance at a run, I actually rewatched this game just because I was on a, a Bumgarner binge, yeah. I guess. I'm trying to watch a lot of his postseason performances. Um, there, was a, uh, there was a double... 
by I forget who, but Fielder tried to score from first and he got thrown out at the plate. So that was that was really their only shot at, at getting a run in that game. And they did not get end up getting a run in that game. Um, and then the series goes back to Detroit. So at least, you know, they don't have to go on the road at free to nothing lead. They have, they have the home field advantage now, but the offense uh, continues to disappoint. Uh, they get shut out again. Same score. Same score. And those two runs, instead of being scored in the later innings, they were scored in the second inning. Yeah. Gregor Blanco, that's a name you may have forgot existed. He had an RBI triple, and then Brandon Carver did an RBI single to bring him in. And that was all the scoring for the game. Uh, this was uh, Ryan Vogelsong, who started this game. Five and two-thirds, five hits, zero runs, four walks, and three strikeouts. Not exactly the best line, but zero earned runs is zero earned runs. Tim Lincecum, the freaky franchise, as they call him on ESPN, comes in. Two and a third, zero hits, zero runs, zero, one walk, three Ks. Uh, and then Sergio Roma finished out one scoreless inning. Yeah, yeah. Um, Romo, Romo was the was the was the closer of that uh, of that team. Yep. But yeah, the offense just uh, unable to show up again. And by the way, Brian Vogelsong, if you don't know his story, just like look it up. It's it's a pretty crazy story actually of like yeah. how he got to the big leagues. It's not one you're going to hear from anyone else. Yeah. Um, but the, it is not a Ryan Vogelsong show. We'll get to that so, on another day. Actually, we, we definitely will get to that on another day. Probably, yeah. I know that for a fact. One so, day. Uh, game four. Four rolls around. Game four. The the Tigers aren't laying down in this one. No, they're not gonna they're not gonna get shut out again. Uh, in fact, they scored in they scored two in the third and one in the sixth. Uh, on, yeah. let me they see. Were, it was uh, Miggy homered, Delman Young homered, and that was uh, that was their scoring for the night. Yeah, and I I I rewatched this game as well just to um, not act. It was before I knew that we were doing this team. It was uh, just out of curiosity, I guess. <laughs> that that Miggy home run, it was to right field, and wind really helped that one out a lot. So yeah. uh, I guess God was, was trying to help the Tigers as much as he could, especially I was. Uh, I remember I was in sixth grade when this series happened. Yeah, and I remember this was the, first, this was the postseason where uh, I acquired the app MLB Preplay. Oh, nice. Which, nice. Uh, I, I was a year late on that one, I guess, then. Yeah. Uh, I got it from a, an ad on during the ALCS pregame. Okay. Yeah, and I think that must have been, like, the only time that that ad ever aired on that network. I never. I don't even remember how I saw it, but... It, it was on Nesson, I think. Maybe. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a minor app. We should probably get into that later, but... That's, I mean, that is potentially how we first met. Possibly, but we did. Probably. Oh, but not really. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, the, the Tigers, they're, they have life. Delman Young, noted postseason hero, I think. Did, he, did you mention he had a, a home run or didn't? I did. In the so yeah, he, he has a home three run. Three. Um, that made it three to three, and it goes into extra innings. But in the top of the 10th, Marco Scudero, Gets a single to drive in, I believe, Brandon Crawford. Yep. 
and uh, that makes it four to three. Then in the bottom oh, of the was, top, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Ryan Theriot. Ryan Terrio. Theriot. <laughs> <laughs> it was Ter- Ryan Terrio. It's spelled T H E R I O T, or yeah. I think I don't know. It must be like a, a French. I haven't name. heard that name in years, and I literally forgot it. All right, listen. I'm sorry. It but, was two. It was with uh, two outs too. Yeah, clutch, clutch hitting by the Giants. Um, the Tigers were not able to get any clutch hitting in the bottom of the tenth. They had the top of the lineup come up uh, with, the two, with two outs. You got the lead leaguer and lead league leader in home runs, uh, Miguel Cabrera. And he ends up looking at strike three to end the season. That's right. Kind of representative of how that Tigers team was, or that Tigers offense was in, in the World Series. That offense, they slashed 159, mm-hmm. 243, 246 for a 489 OPS in that series, which is. I wish this team won. Atrocious. I yeah, really I wish mean, this team won. Yeah, when you think of, you know, uh, like a, a teams that you know won the division kind of consecutively that never ended up winning the World Series. You think of you know the Rangers and obviously you think of these Tigers, you know, twenty eleven through well. twenty fourteen. But like the Tigers are the primary suspect. Like this team this team should have won. Yeah, and I I I hate to bring up the twenty thirteen Red Sox again, but they were even more talented in, in twenty thirteen and weren't able yeah. to uh to get it done. I think that was just the power of the of the of that Red Sox team. Like no other team. No they, other they, team is but uh, this is this team. I really wish did win. I was I remember rooting for them in sixth grade, uh, especially after they knocked off the Yankees. Obviously, I was going around making fun of all the Yankee fans, even though the Red Sox finished sixty nine and ninety three. I didn't care. Uh, they yeah. got absolutely embarrassed by the Tigers, mm-hmm. and I made sure everyone knew. And um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, some things aren't meant to be. But this team, although this team lost in the World Series and was quite literally embarrassing in it, that does not define their legacy. This is one of the most fun teams literally ever, uh, especially in recent history. Like, this team was still really good. Uh, you know, they were a nice underdog story for a while. They were the three seed um, in the postseason for the AL. They were under 500 as late as July. Uh, they were three games out of the division with 16 games left. This team had to fight to earn the right of uh, getting to the World Series or even just getting to the playoffs, and they stood up to the challenge. And that is, the, I think that should be this team's legacy. Yeah, and you talk about it, also a team loaded with talent. You've got probably three Hall of Famers on this team. Yeah. You have uh, Miggy, uh, Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer. I believe and Prince will... Fielder was on a trajectory for that mark, too. Yeah, and unfortunately injuries – yeah. That. And yeah, you got Justin Verlander in his prime. You've got the surge of Max Scherzer, probably a a run that kind of, you know, the next year he wins the Cy Young. And mm-hmm. this 2012 season kind of helped that. He kind of figured things out in, in the 2012 season. Yeah. And you've got Miguel Cabrera's best season ever. You did. The Triple yeah. Crown. I mean, one of the best seasons in recent memory. Yeah. First Triple Crown in 45 years. Yeah, definitely a, a very fun team that probably doesn't get recognized by shows that aren't the show to be named later. Exactly. Um, so that is that is our 2012 Tigers uh, owed uh, a great team 
Really wish they won it all, but nonetheless, a team that will go down in history in Detroit. Yes. Are we yes. ready to pick our schedule for next week? Yeah. So all right. um, I'll go we'll, first. We'll pick the numbers. Yeah. Uh, let me let me pull up the Google Doc. Right. This, uh, I'm excited. This is gonna determine the rest of the whole next week. Yeah, I, I get excited. Yeah, I'm this is probably the most exciting part of the episode, honestly. Because <laughs> we we love doing the research. This is a surprise. Like, uh, like, I have 30 teams listed here, and I'd love to do all 30 of these teams. Yeah. You know, we, we'd love baseball to be back, but we're, it's not like we're not, not – it's not like we're not excited about doing mm-hmm. these uh, 30 teams and 30 players. All right, mm-hmm. I have the list pulled up. What number do you want to pick? 15. 15. We are going with the 19 – I don't, I don't know what year. The, we'll find out next short, week. In short, Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. All Joe right. Morgan. One of the best second basemen of all time. Yeah. All right. Uh, I love that. All right, Chris, uh, your turn. Uh, I'm going to pick – I'm not going to pick the same number don't. because uh, I guess that would just be defeat the purpose of everything. Um. So I'm going to go with uh, 23. 23? Oh, this is perfect, Chris. This is amazing. We are going to do the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. Oh, what are the odds? We have a Reds fans. Next week is your show. Oh, yes. No way. Our Reds listenership is about to <laughs> blow through the roof. Absolutely. So next week, Joe Morgan and the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, the nasty the, boys. Yeah, the the 1990 Reds. When you think of when you think of World Series Reds team, you don't you don't really think of 1990. But we're definitely going to get into why we you are should. going to think of them very much. So, yeah, definitely excited. This was this ran about two hours. Yeah, which, I said we were going to do it two hours. I didn't. I kind of doubted it at first, but yeah, this is this is uh this is life fun. now. Yeah. All right. Hey, Chris. There's a there's an MLB Network documentary solely about the 1990 Reds. Let's go. Let's go. I'm excited. So, yeah, that was the show to be named later. Uh, you know, we're – as of now, we are still not on Apple Podcasts, but we are on YouTube. So, right. this will be the – you know, once this gets on Apple Podcasts, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I guess we should – I guess we should plug more stuff. So, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with uh, Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. That's right. And then uh, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel underscore Curran. That Curran is, is with an E, not an C-U-R-E-N. A. C-U-R-E-N. Contrary to the popular belief that it's C-U-R-R-A-N. Yeah. Not. And uh, yeah, uh, I don't think we have anything. That anything just about wraps it up. Before. Yeah, and that wraps it up. Uh, We'll see you next week where we will be talking about Joe Morgan, uh, mutually exclusive Joe Morgan and the 1990 Reds. See you next time.